Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your big Wednesday Buckeye talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're drafting and I'm nervous. And we're going to a desert island and I'm nervous. I was just like one of those. I have like a little knot in my stomach. I also realized, guys, I think maybe we should like have a draft every week. Like drafting, I think it's interesting for people to hear us go back and forth on stuff. And it's a way to like evaluate how we think about things in an interesting way. And I'm sure, Stephen, that like during the course of this draft that we're about to do, people listening are going to be screaming at us saying like, I can't believe he picked that guy at that spot, which is fun for listeners to be able to scream through their cell phones at us. It's kind of the point of drafts, right? You, you, you just boo everything. You boo the commissioner when they come up to announce the actual pick. You boo the actual pick. Unless you have the first pick, and in that case, you're probably celebrating because you knew your team sucked for the past year. Other than that, you're booing everything. And this was not easy. This is you basically had we had to rank them ourselves and go, okay, this is who I want. But if this guy's not there, then I have to take this guy. But what if I need to focus on this position during this round? Then do I take this guy and maybe risk that the guy I actually want maybe won't be there next time I pick? This was not easy. So just so people know, what we're doing is we're taking all. Ohio State's offenses of the 2000s. So from 2000 on, 21 seasons, I put it out to the texters, rank these players in order. And what our teams are going to be is we are each going to pick two quarterbacks. We just expanded it a little bit to make it a little harder and a little more interesting. So we're each picking two quarterbacks, two running backs, and four receivers from Ohio State in the 2000s. Of the choices that I sent out to the Texters, there are nine quarterbacks. So we're picking six of those nine quarterbacks. There are 12 running backs. So we are picking six of those 12 running backs. And there are 20 receivers. And we are picking 12 of those 20 receivers. We're not going to run through them all now. You know who they are. They are the people who mattered. If basically, if you were a starter at Ohio State in the 2000s, you're on this list. Nathan, you're a fantasy sports guy. I know. Steven, are you a fantasy sports guy? Do you play fantasy sports at all? Fantasy football, yes. Okay. Yeah, I play. But 
Nathan, I know you, you, you play like the draft is the best part, right? I mean, like that's, it's like, I just like doing it for the draft and it's like, oh, my team stink. I don't know, but it's like the excitement of the draft and that's what we get here. Yeah. You know, even when I, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when I would play like the, the Madden and the NCAA football games, I would come home from college or whatever for the weekend around Thanksgiving. I remember. And like my brother, I have a younger brother, four years younger than me. We would sit down and play those games, but we, we didn't actually play the games. We would just do all of the team setup stuff and then like simulate a season and then go back to do all the GM stuff or the recruiting stuff. Like that was what we always found a lot more intriguing and interesting than like the, the glitchy stuff that can happen while you're playing a game that decides whether you win or lose. And I think I mentioned the other day, like I love roster building, right? I mean, I, lo- I love it on every level. This is what this is. That's what fantasy drafts are. This is what this draft is going to be. The other thing we're going to do on this podcast, again, we are going back with text or suggestions from like 10 months ago that we have been saving. We are going to go to the deserted Island and we are going to take, an album, a book, a male celebrity, and a feel cele- female celebrity. We're going to the desert island for a year. What would you do? And we'll we'll save that texture and give them credit for, for what they sent. But also, I just want to acknowledge that this entire idea is started with the texture months and months and months ago. If you are that texture from the 937... If you were starting a team today and you could pick one quarterback, one running back, and one receiver to start your team, what Ohio State uh, what Ohio State players would you pick since 2000? So that's where this idea came from. Again, if you guys are not tech subscribers, the way it works is you pay us and we steal your ideas. In a nutshell, that's the tech service. Thanks to the person who gave us this idea and thanks to the desert Island that we'll get to later. Again, this is the big long one. This is the big Wednesday pod. So settle in here folks. And we're going to add a little, there's a little intrigue to this Nathan Baird, because he has the least experience sort of with Ohio state background that he probably had to do a little more research on this. I've been around. I basically covered almost everybody we're talking about on this draft. I started in 2005, I wasn't here for the O2 national title team, so I'm not an expert on everybody, but I'm intimately familiar with most of these dudes. Steven grew up in Columbus, has been around, has followed the Buckeyes. There might be people, he wasn't alive when some of these people played, or he, he, well, he was alive. He might have been in kindergarten, but he just has more of a familiarity. You know, Nathan's living in Chicago. He's, he's living in central Illinois. He's covering Purdue. Not as intimately familiar, Nathan, with all of these players. I would imagine... You just had to check in, not that you don't know him, but you had to check in a little bit, right, on maybe do a little quick research on exactly what who was really good among all these really good players. Well, and especially as you get farther down the list, you get farther down, let's say, the receiver list, and there are names where like, oh, I know this name, but how good was that guy? And, and going back and like comparing him to some other guys that are kind of in that same category, or even guys who have maybe a a – a bigger reputation, um, a, a reputation beyond, you know, just being like fan favorites at Ohio state or whatever, like who actually was a more productive player. Um, did it just, did they happen to did their careers happen to fall at such a time where one got more noticed than the other, but who was actually more productive. So I had to do some of that. Yeah. So the result is that Nathan gets to pick where he wants to draft. This is going to be a snake draft. So that means we're going to go one, two, three. And then the person who picks third, also gets to pick fourth and we're going to snake it back and forth. So there's some strategy involved with that. 
and Nathan is now going to tell us. So Stephen and I have not been able to set our entire draft strategy. Nathan, where are you picking? Are you taking pick one, two, or three? I thought about like coming up with some kind of strategy here and like really planning it out. And maybe I would have if I had had to spend so much time uh, on my desert island strategy, which we'll get to later, um, which was really intense. So I think uh, the easiest answer was to just draft number one and take who I think is um, the, the guy who should go number one. Okay. So Nathan will take the first pick. Steven, you were around less than me. You get to decide next. Are you taking pick two or pick three? Pick two, because then I'm always picking every other pick, which is perfect because I just get to one person just to maybe take my player instead of waiting right. for two turns and then getting the pick twice. All right. I like the strategy. That means I'll pick third. I get to wrap around. I get picks three and four. So here we go. I literally, who has a knot in their stomach for this draft that doesn't matter that we're not actually going to do anything with, but all that matters is that, well, this actually matters a lot that our audience might think that we're dumb, which is one of the top five things that matters in my life. It's whether Buckeye talk listeners and tech subscribers think I'm a ding dong. I have my wife and my two daughters. I have my mother and my sister and my nieces and nephews, my in-laws. I have a small handful of friends. Pretty small. And I've been in my house for a long time. I care what you people think of me. So I'm a little nervous. Like I don't, if I take like Jalen Marshall in the second round, I'm worried that like people are going to throw things at me. So that's why I have a knot. Steven, do you have a knot? No, not about my first pick. Well, actually I kind of do. I have a knot about my first four or five picks is one. I don't want people to think I'm dumb, but also I don't, I've got a good strategy here. You want um, your guys. You want, I your want guys. my guys. I want, I want as many of my, I want, if, if my, I want my strategy to go 65% well, I think that's a pretty solid, that's a pretty solid completion number. So why not be a pretty solid draft? All right. I've got, I've got like kind of my guys off the top that I want. I figured I was probably picking third. So I, I know who I would love my wraparound to be. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, Nathan, are you nervous? No, I'm not. I, I do not have <laughs> a knot. Nathan has a normal, fulfilling life with other people outside this podcast. So he is not basing his entire self-worth on this made-up draft. That does not matter. Well, and also, like, once you make the first pick, like, it's almost out of your control then, right? Like, I'm not picking again until I get the sixth best guy left right so it, there's a lot that i it, it's out of my control once i make this first pick all right i think i would imagine that nathan this strategy this first pick strategy of yours is based upon the fact that almost everybody listening i would imagine both steven and i are in agreement i feel like there is an obvious number one pick here in this mm -hmm. draft so steven not steven nathan baird you are on the clock with pick number one of what will be 24 picks in our Ohio State offense draft of the 2000s. Who is the number one pick? And I don't know if this guy is even the, the number one, the, the, the best football player on this list of, of all the players we get to pick from here. But I feel like he is the most complete version of the most important position. I'm taking Justin Fields, number one. Steven, is that obvious to you? It's just like a real NFL draft. The quarterback's going to go first, and the draft starts at number two. Yeah, I, I would love to hear, and the texters can send us this, I would love to hear the argument 
for not Justin number one, because I also think there is some distinction of like levels of guys and stuff. And I just think we have talked about this a lot. Nathan is like, Hey, I think we sort of came to the consensus during the course of the last two seasons that Justin Fields is the best quarterback in Ohio state history. Now, there's varying degrees of what that means. He didn't win the Heisman. He didn't win a national championship. Other quarterbacks have done that. But in terms of play on the field, throw, run, lead, tough, smart, you know, dynamic, reliable, accurate, right? All that stuff. I mean, it's Justin Fields, which is why you picked him. Yeah. And things like, you know, okay, he didn't win a Heisman, but he had a season that in many seasons would have won a Heisman if there wasn't a Joe Burrow. Like, there, he could have won a Heisman with that season in another year. Like, that kind of thing has to be considered there, too. He was a Heisman-caliber player. And, uh, you know, there's other quarterbacks on this list that can really run well. There's other quarterbacks on this list that can really chuck it, and he does both. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know what the argument is that he wouldn't be the number one choice. It's literally a ability versus like most accomplished conversation and, and we're going by bill i mean we're just playing yeah. football here we're yeah. rolling it out and we're whatever we're sneaking into ohio stadium and playing a little doug nathan steven spring game or something so we're going by how you play the game um so i think that's the obvious pick and again people have to remember we're picking a second quarterback and you're just trying to build the best team you don't have to decide oh are you is it a quarterback rotation whatever you're just trying to put together the best team of eight guys so Justin Fields is off the board at number one. Steven means you are up with the second pick. This is why I wasn't nervous about my second pick. I am nervous about the picks three through five. I, I'm picking Garrett Wilson, and here is why I'm picking Garrett Wilson. When we're going we off why. of – I mean, yeah, I, that's my guy. Come on, we're besties. But more importantly, there is a, a legitimate drop-off at slot receiver between what he is and his ability and, and what he can do from that position – versus what maybe a Paris Campbell, a Jalen Marshall, or a Paris, or, or, or K.J. Hill can do there, which is why we were so excited to see him in the slot last spring. And it was – I think Doug used it. Imagine K.J. – a more talented K.J. Hill or a, a K.J. Hill with a higher ceiling. So when there's that much of a drop-off and the best quarterback is already taken off the board and there's probably some options who, who maybe are quarterbacks two through four, depending on how you view things – you just got to go with a guy where you know that there's a much bigger drop-off at from position one to position two. So that secures up that position and how much I can do in the slot. And he can be my punt returner. Okay. I will say, knowing Stephen Means' great affection for Garrett Wilson, Nathan, I am still surprised by this pick. Are you surprised by this pick, Nathan Baird? I am because I don't think he needed to take him here to get him. I don't think you were going to take him. I think he could have got him with the next pick. That's not bad thinking. I will tell you, I was nervous about the guy that I'm about to pick right now that I thought you were going to take Steven. Mm -hmm. And I am picking him now third. I think there are tears here. I think he is, I would say, probably indisputably the best guy at his spot. And it's Ezekiel Elliott. I, I thought you were going to take Zeke. I think in this great list of running backs, I think peak Zeke is pretty clearly the best guy. Now, listen, if somebody wants to get into a debate about Maurice Claret, 
Mm-hmm. If yeah. you want to get, I I think there's a, I think there's a line here as well. You know, there's other Beanie Wells. Peak Beanie Wells is really good. I don't want to. I mean, like we get it, we get it. Zeke was a force, and I I am now going to execute my strategy, which this pick now my my first pick in the second round. A part of this exercise to me, most of the exercise is sort of about like pairing people, right? That you're putting some people together who didn't play together. That will also be some guys who did play together. So I am perhaps, I think probably not even perhaps, I'm going to reach here. I'm going to reach because I'm a little worried that I won't get this guy if I don't reach because now I'm here at the end. And I admit that he's probably not necessarily like the next best player, but I want him with Zeke. I want to see what this would be like. And I will feel confident in my own way of how these guys are going to play off each other. And I want to see what happens. And I'm putting Braxton Miller and Ezekiel Elliott together in a backfield. And I am going to run those two guys down your throat and we saw what happened with Braxton peak Braxton with Carlos Hyde Ezekiel Elliott is multiple steps past Carlos Hyde to me I get that 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 Braxton is maybe not an obvious pick here but that's what I want this is what I have thought about when I considered this draft I thought I'm not going to get Justin so if I can't get Justin I think Zeke is the next best guy and if I get him, I want him with Braxton because I want to see what that would look like. What do you think of my pairing here, Stephen, of those two picks? It made me comfortable of when I can draft a quarterback now because uh, there's real options. I, I get why you would do that because it's, in 2014, that would have been dangerous. Given There's a clear way you want to play now, though. You want to run the ball. You want to run a lot of zone read. So it, that's fine. And if, if for what the way you you clearly with, with how you want to play, that works, and that's going to win you the Big Ten 100%. That combination alone will – I don't know if it's going it, to – it might not win you a playoff game, but that's going to win you the Big Ten at least at bare minimum. And so I respect it. I, I think it's interesting. It's definitely uh, probably the biggest what if or one of the biggest what ifs when you look at the players on, the, on these lists because those that should have happened. That should have actually been a pairing on the field. So that I think it's interesting. I think fans will love that. But I'm a little bit more comfortable in my picking Garrett Wilson because I know who my quarterback is going to be now. And, and again, it's peak Braxton. I'm taking like peak, peak Braxton. And I think mm-hmm. I think there has evolved over time because they won a national championship the year after Braxton got hurt. You know, I don't think the the Urban Meyer offense was fully formed. I mean, Braxton carried a lot of load because they were a more simplified offense. Listen, Braxton's not going to throw it as some of the other guys, as, as well as some of the other guys that are still left. But I would like to see, you know, let's let uh, uh, maybe uh, if Ryan Day, and what we're going to end up doing a lot in this conversation is, oh, if these guys played for Ryan Day. Right? Because yeah. that's all anybody's going to talk about because what Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer did with their offenses did not, they didn't throw the ball like Ryan day wants to throw it. And this is what this era is. It's Trestle, urban and day. So I get that. And we're going to end up saying that a lot. Oh, in the Ryan day offense. And I get that. But I also think that if Ryan day had Braxton Miller and Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he wouldn't be dropping back 45 times a game. He would do something to accentuate what those guys do best. But I also think Braxton would throw it better. 
because they, they he could take some deep shot deep shots. They'd be hitting some little mesh stuff. They'd be hitting some little swing passes. They'd run some RPO stuff maybe with Braxton. I think Braxton would have a way to be devastating, not just as a runner. I think we can still – I'm not sure we saw the maximum of Braxton Miller as a thrower, and I, I don't think he would have gotten there. I, I really don't, and I don't want to underestimate what Lamar Jackson does on the NFL. The guy's stinking MVP of the NFL. Braxton Miller retired from the NFL without ever taking a snap at quarterback. But I wonder, Stephen, I sometimes wonder if, if, if peak, peak, peak Braxton, who just would have advanced a little more as a thrower, like, is that what was out there? Because that's, now listen, if I'm, if you think that Braxton Miller could be a version of Lamar Jackson, it's like, heck yes. He's, he was. Never, he, he literally was. I mean, he didn't throw it like we can't. Uh, Lamar has progressed as a thrower. I yeah. think Lamar is a better thrower than Braxton was, but I don't know that Braxton maxed out as a thrower because he wasn't asked to do it, I think, quite as much. So I think there's a version of a more passing offense where Braxton's running ability is still devastating, but his throwing ability is better than we ever actually saw it. I think Braxton Miller's situation is his career is literally almost what happens when you your freshman year is basically a mess because of the things that are around you and so it pretty much was an extension of his high school career where it's we're just going to put the ball in Braxton Miller's hands and see what happens and that's great in high school it wins you a lot of games especially when you're as electric as he is but when you get to the that freshman year development is so important and he missed out on that because it was just kind of a make it was Luke Fickle was the head coach and kind of a makeshift staff. They had to put together last minute because of everything that was going on off the field. So yeah, you can let Ryan, let's work for the sake of this. Uh, it's Ohio state. So we'll say, what if Ryan day was, a but what if he just had a, a, a decent quarterback coach that first year to, you know, to really push that development a little bit, then I think we, that is out there for him because Louisville kind of used Lamar Jackson the same way. Yes, he could throw it a little, but he wasn't the greatest thrower at Louisville. It was to the point that people kept asking him at the combine, hey, are you going to switch to wide receiver? So he was a good enough thrower to do some of the stuff that Braxton Miller was also doing in college while being an electric runner. So that I, I'm not saying the MVP, but the idea of how the NFL teams are now using Bra- uh, Lamar Jackson, that would have been out there for, for Braxton Miller had he had that crucial development his first two years in college. And I think football got smarter about how to use quarterbacks like that, that we weren't quite as advanced. We weren't quite as far down that road when Braxton played as we were by the time Lamar Jackson was playing and Kyler Murray was playing. And again, I don't know that Braxton, it doesn't, I'm not sure that Braxton Miller would have been a first round NFL draft pick at quarterback, but I think there's a version of him that we didn't, for as great as he was, and he killed defenses. He was the whole offense in 2012, 2013. They got a little more advanced. I mean, they went, it went 24 and 0 with him as the starting quarterback in the regular in 2012 and 2013 until they got to the Big Ten championship game. So, like, let's not forget what that dude was. It's I go back and forth on Braxton. He is singular in his ability. Like what he did, the way he played. There's there's not hasn't been an Ohio State player like him. But yet, I think because 2014 was such a great year for the team. And 2012 and 2013, they didn't quite get there as the team, right? That I think I think it's possible at times, while we are continually dazzled by sort of like the individual feats of Braxton, I think we might underestimate how good of a quarterback he was over the course of a season, how much of a winning 
quarterback he was. So I was happy to take him here. Nathan, before we get to Stevens pick at number five, we won't go this long on every pick, but I, I'm, I was so excited about Perrin, Zeke, and Braxton. What did you think of that, of my wraparound there, Nathan? It's interesting, and, and it's, it, I think it, it, it comes specifically from your perspective, right? And I think as we get farther into this, our individual perspectives on this era of Ohio State football are going to play into this because I didn't have Braxton Miller. Like, if I, I, I didn't, he was a player that I didn't really care if I drafted him or not. You know what I mean? Like, he would have, if I ended up, he would maybe have been like my sixth quarterback on the list. So it would have almost been like, well, if I decided not to take a second quarterback until my last pick, that's who I might have got ended up with. But I think it's it's interesting to hear you talk about it and why it would make a lot of sense. And I, I don't dispute that it, it it's something that, from a strategy standpoint, could really pay off. All right, pick number five, second pick in the second round. Steven, you're up. I think this just got more fun for me because I can – Saddle off the court because neither one of you are going to take a backup quarterback in the next two or three rounds here. That just wouldn't but, make but, any but sense. To be fair, to be fair, I don't want the brunt of the draft to be about like draft strategy. Take the guys you want to take because, by the way, I might yeah. take a quarterback next. I mean, like, I'm trying to get the best guys. Like, let's not make it about like, hey, well, now I'll take a quarterback with my seventh pick because I can wait or whatever. Like, let's take good football players and okay. that's what it's about more. But go ahead. It, but also, it's your pick. You do whatever you want. Michael Thomas is coming with me because that shores up my the two wide receivers who are going to get the ball for me. They're, they're, that's my uh, Michael. His ceiling might be high, as clear as higher than Chris Olave. That's the best wide receiver. That's actually the best wide receiver in this group. And then Gary Wilson is the best slot receiver in this group. So at least my weapons are secure and who I can get the ball to. I've got two guys who I can target them a hundred times, and they're going to catch eighty percent of them. So I would say that. I had Michael Thomas first on my receiver list. Yes. Um, I took a quarterback and running back, but if I had taken a receiver, I would have taken Michael Thomas. Nathan, where was Michael Thomas on your receiver list? He was number one, and he was going to be my next pick if if Stephen had taken a, a quarterback or a running back. It was Michael Thomas was going to be my pick. I think maybe it kind of all works out here because I think maybe – I mean, you could have gone like Michael Thomas at two. He's like the best receiver. And then if you wrapped around and said, now I'm getting my slack guy and it's Garrett, you know, I think that would have worked out. Did you consider taking Thomas at two, Steven? I, I did, but I, I, once again, I know we don't want to make this all about strategy, but I, I just want, I, I had to get the guy where the, the drop off was, was bigger at the time. And the, there's a wider ga- gap between what the slot receiver is. Garrett Wilson is the slot receiver and everybody else. And I know, yes, Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver here, but Chris Olave would have still been out there. Terry McLaurin would have still been out there. So there's still been very viable options still on the table where I felt comfortable if I'd have ended up with one of those guys. So it's, you know, kind of make, you know, pick your poison, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good fifth pick. That's a good, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think anybody listening to this is disputing uh, picking Michael Thomas there. That, and, and I think there are people who would say maybe that I blew it by not taking Michael Thomas in that wraparound spot when maybe it was maybe a little bit of surprise um, that I even had the opportunity to get him. So uh, I passed, Steven grabbed him, and now we're to pick six to Nathan. So this is where it gets interesting because I just feel like there is still so much depth at both running back and receiver that I'm actually tempted to take a second QB with one of these two picks. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Chris Olave here 
and now it seems like it's all like recency bias for me, like having only covered the team for a couple of years and taking two guys who have been playing for the last two years. But I, I, I like the Fields Olave connection and being able to kind of keep that going. They clearly have one, and that can I think translate into the next level wherever we end up playing this game. They've already, they can go drop some plays in the sand or whatever and 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 get it going. So. Man, I'm really torn because there's a running back that I really like. But I don't know if I like him so much better than the next three or four guys down the list. Crud. I will uh, say I'm intrigued by the idea that like in this great big world of like, hey, we can mix and match all these guys. You pick the the quarterback and the best receiver of the past two years, which I think is an interesting point because it goes to like how good that connection was. Right. That it was the best quarterback of the la- of ever by our opinion in Ohio state history with a guy who again, and by the way, Steven took Garrett Wilson first. We're taking anybody in the last 21 years. And you guys, three of the first six picks are the quarterback and the two receivers from last year's team. And that's how good they are now. I mean, I'm yes, yes, yes. And I get it. There is a little recency bias by you guys on those picks but not overwhelming not, not really. out of the, not out of the range of possibility i mean not not wrong i get why you lean this way but that's how good this passing game was in the fields pick isn't really recency bias cuz like we said we we have looked like back in the past and and fields keeps coming coming out on top of that estimation for us so you know i i'm going to throw my strategy out the window a little bit i'm going to take another quarterback i'm going to take the guy who actually did win the Heisman, I'm going to take Troy Smith. I like it. I, I, I'm not sure Troy would have gotten back to you if you didn't take him there, Stephen. Be- he or, or would Nathan. not have gotten back to him at all. Because we start, I will say, I mean, we start drawing some lines. And again, he's the third quarterback off the board. He won the Heisman. He can throw it. He can run it. He can lead. He did have good weapons. I mean, he did. He had Antonio Pittman. He had Ted Ginn Jr. He had Anthony Gonzalez. He had San Antonio Holmes. He had, I mean, he had, he had dudes, but also for as good as Troy was again. I mean, and and I don't want to take away that 2006 Ohio state offense was legit. That was not like an old fashioned. I mean, that was like peak Jim Trestle offense. I don't want to pretend that was dark ages kind of stuff because they got it done. And Troy pulled back on his running there because he didn't need it, but he ran it like a maniac in 04 and 05. And then they developed into an offense in 06 that really was pretty good. I mean, like, I mean, it was great, but even like, in I think in its design and the way they attack people, I think was pretty good, but I really, I like this pick Nathan. Well, by your estimation, it was Troy Smith, a person who won the Heisman because he was in an offense in, and an era that like crossed in the right way and was able to maximize his talents or could, Troy Smith, if you transported him through time into Ryan Day's lap when he had no other quarterback, could he win a Heisman with Ryan Day? Yes. Okay. That's yes. what I hoped you would say, and that's why I thought it would still be a good pick. His 30 touchdown passes are probably equivalent to, in today's offense, 45, maybe 50, just given the way offenses have, have developed. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, he's not – I mean, he's not – again, he's not Justin Fields. He's not Trevor Lawrence, right, from sort of a physical standpoint. But, like, he's a winner. 
he's a runner and a thrower. He's absolutely both. He's a leader. Like, I think he almost would maybe be like Jalen Hurts or somebody a little bit like that, that, that I don't know that I don't think Troy would have been like a first round pick. And again, Troy got picked in the middle rounds, but like, he would have been like, yeah, can that guy win you a national title? Absolutely. Now is he top end, top end, top end, top end quarterback, natural talent? No. But does he have everything you need? And then does he have that kind of extra it to get you over the top? And could he function and succeed and excel in this era? I believe that absolutely. Oh, I get and I took two right there. I took a lot of answers. So, so, so I just Steven. I just think and and but did did that mess you up a little bit, Stephen? Yeah, it did mess me up. That was gonna be my quarterback because my whole thought process was I mean, he was literally a distributor with a team that was uber talented. And that's what I was going for here is when I've got all this talent elsewhere, I don't need you to run. Just stick, just stay your butt in the pocket and distribute. I'll, so I'll with trade that, you Troy Smith for Michael Thomas. That's not happening because that defeats the purpose. <laughs> then I don't oh, have the, oh, we can trade. We can trade. We will have <laughs> trades at the end. Yes, for sure. Um, so with that being said and needing a guy to just stay in the pocket and throw that, get rid of that ball as quickly as possible. I'm thinking Dwayne Haskins. Nathan just made me go get a quarterback. And I think he's the perfect fit for what I want to do. I've got Michael Thomas and Garrett Wilson who can do everything from their respective spots on the, as wide receivers. Dwayne Haskins' arm talent is undeniable. I, you can, that he was, he, that's why he was at one point in the discussion to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. The intangibles at the college level weren't as much of an issue. He was just cocky, which I don't care about. I want my quarterback to be cocky. He's sitting there trying to find guys to throw a ball to while people who are much bigger than him are trying to rip his head off. I don't mind the cockiness. So college version of Dwayne Haskins is, as from an arm talent standpoint, probably rivals Justin Fields. It's the extra stuff. It's the, the, the it factor stuff and the running that, that separates Justin Fields from Dwayne Haskins. But the arm talent, they're probably equal. And he's a Heisman Trophy finalist. In his one year, and he threw 50 touchdown passes, so why not? I like it. I mean, I think it's smart. I think Troy deserves to go. I mean, I think Dwayne deserves to go, like, in this mix, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're getting to a line on quarterbacks that, like, you know, Stephen, let's say if you had not picked Dwayne there and I had picked Dwayne, then I think now you're starting to maybe get into a little more question, like, well, who's my dude now? Who's my quarterback? So I think that's a good pick. Nathan Um, threw a wrinkle in this. He did. Uh, yeah. I think it's a smart wrinkle. I think it's a smart wrinkle. And I think it's, I, that's why I wanted to throw in the second quarterback because otherwise it'd be like, all right, well, someone takes Justin and then like, we can just wait. It's like, all right, well, someone's going to wind up with Troy and someone's going to wind up with like Braxton or whatever, but this, this I like. So, but you guess who got left for me? And I know there are people screaming. There are some people screaming that this guy has not been picked yet. And we're going to be the fastest team. We're going to light it up. This guy is some people's favorite player. I know it. He's some people's favorite Buckeye. He's rare. I have not seen a guy like this since he left. I don't think he really should have gone any earlier than this necessarily. I don't think you guys made a mistake by passing on him, but I think this is the exact right spot for him. And I'm taking Teddy Ginn. I'm taking Ginn, Braxton, Zeke, and we're gonna we're gonna be fast. We're gonna get after throwing it. the ball downfield. <laughs> we're gonna get after it's it. Gonna, so it's just gonna be Jeff Smith on my receivers list. He was probably not. He was not gonna get back to you. Probably he was not. Well, he wasn't until the quarterback situation for me. So I like 
I like that idea. I like now here's the thing. And I think I'm going to pair him because I don't think Teddy is a true number one receiver. And I thought that when he got drafted, I'll be honest here. I thought Ted got drafted overdrafted a little bit in the NFL. It was the ninth pick and he's still playing. I mean, he played this year. It's unbelievable. His NFL career has been unbelievable, but I don't know that he's ever been like your number one receiver the way like Michael Thomas is a number one receiver the way Chris Olave is a number one receiver, like a do it all, do everything. But if Ted is like your second guy, if he's your deep threat that makes a defense adjust to him, and then you can throw him short stuff. And that's Ohio state did that a lot. And I thought, I, I always remember this and I, you know, my, my good friend, your friend in mine, Tim may is a great football mind. And Tim in his legendary career as a beat writer at the dispatch really was a beat writer. He broke news. He wrote great stories, but just sort of the way it was back then, he didn't often sort of verge into like analysis, right? The way that like all the three, the three of us, we just tell you what we think about everything all the time. Beat writer, columnist, whatever. That is our analysis is just part of what we do every day. It wasn't really like that back then, which is why this sticks in my head. I think it might've been the only time Tim ever did it. I don't know that you would call it a column, but I think they had Tim's like name at the end of the headline. And he wrote a story about how Ohio State always throws the ball to Ted Ginn so that he's stationary when he catches it. And he's not on the move. And they threw him bubble screens and swing passes and stuff like that, where it was basically like a run play, like throw it out wide. He catches it standing still. Now try to get him a block and he's gone. And it's like, can you throw the man a slant? Can you throw the man a three-yard pass when he's on the move while he catches it? And let's see what happens, right? Some of this Tyreek Hill kind of stuff, right? Where, yeah, he can beat you deep, but he also can turn a four-yard pass and do an 80-yard touchdown if you hit him on the run. So I don't know as much as I praise the 06 Ohio State offense and the way Troy manipulated that, I don't know that that Jim Trestle offense maxed out Ted Ginn Jr. So I'm going to have him working some underneath stuff as long as well as throwing deep. And now I'm going to decide who to pair him with as sort of that number one receiver. I'm tempted. There's a quarterback I'm thinking about right here to stick it to Steven, but I'll wait. But then Steven would just wait and he would have that sec, that last quarterback pick he can pick in the last round. I'm going to wait on quarterback. I'm tempted to go running back. I'm tempted to go running back, but I have a tier system at running back. That's going to lead me not to go there yet. So now I'm thinking about a number one receiver and I am going to listen to somebody who sent a smart text that I am going to use as advice here. Even if I feel like I might be overdrafting him because maybe you guys wouldn't be ready to pick him, but I'm going to pick him here from the 619. I have a feeling Michael Jenkins will be the most underrated player on this list. Could you imagine a legit 6'5 wideout with Troy Smith, Justin Fields, or Haskins? Jenkins made his hay with Craig, the molecular biologist doctor guy, Craig Krenzel. He was pretty clutch, but he wasn't nearly as good as the three guys I mentioned above. So, you know, I'm not sure. Braxton may not be the exact perfect guy to utilize all of Michael Jenkins, but I'm taking him as my number one receiver. The, the, absolutely, they don't win the 2002 national title without Michael Jenkins. He is a true big number one receiver who can do a lot of different things, and I feel very comfortable taking him and I got the Ginn Jenkins wraparound here at the end of the third and start of the fourth. Nathan, any opinion? Well, I thought it was interesting that 
part of their argument was what it would be like to pair him with any of the three quarterbacks that you don't have. True. That, that I don't have the thrower. Now right, that's, I mean, I didn't lean top end thrower with my quarterback. So it's like, all right, well, am I maximizing any of my receivers? You're right. Michael Jenkins had a thousand receiving yards on a Jim Chessel football team. That's, I mean, that's impressive in its own right. So imagine, yeah, imagine that with an offense that actually was a little bit more aggressive and up-tempo what he would have been able to do. I do think you have the advantage of seeing some of these guys when they were actually athletes out on the field doing it. You saw them game after game after game in some of these cases. And we, in a lot of cases, Steven saw them more than I did, but we were often looking back and seeing numbers and trying to compare numbers across eras where you get to compare an athlete to what he might be able to do in a modern offense with presumably yourself or Ryan Day or whoever calling those plays. That is true. I did not cover Jenkins, though. I, I never watched Michael right. Jenkins play. But, yes, I do have an inherent edge here, um, which is why, well, I have an inherent edge. It's so I'm old. I'm old. When I was ranking these guys as far as, like, their order of which way I would take them, I, I, I think I had Michael Jenkins ahead of Chris Olave just because of that size. And, I mean, you're 6'5". It can do a lot of those same things. I, I, if it would have come, I probably would, if, since, especially since I'm not picking back to back picks, if I, in my situation, knowing that I have to wait basically three, two, two picks to get another pick again, I might've taken him over Chris Olave if I did not already have wide receivers. And that's with all due respect to Chris Olave. Yeah. And he is a little different. He's a big receiver, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's a little, has a little bit of a different vibe than some of the other guys. There's a lot of good receivers out there, which is one of the things that we will talk about at the end of this. But first we're going to take a break. Here during our 2000s offensive draft of the Ohio State Buckeyes on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means back with our draft. Try the text so you can give us ideas for podcasts as this texter did with this, with this, how, you know, let's pick a team. Let's pick guys from the 2000s. 614-350-3315. We were above a certain number of texters for a long time. We dropped below it. We get it. It's the offseason. We're not going to have as many in the offseason. I still think there's a, an interesting value in the offseason that's different than in-season, but we get we lost some people since the national title game. But then somebody joined, and we went back above uh, a certain nice number to have. So we appreciate everybody who's tried it. Um, we are at pick 11 in this draft. Steven means back to you. So – I understand where you're coming from with Ezekiel Elliott. He, uh, peak Zeke was awesome. I just think that there is a world where peak Maurice Claret is even more awesome, just given what he did as a true freshman in that offense, in a, in a Jim Trestle offense. I think if you put that in a Ryan Day offense, he does what J.K. Dobbins did in 2019 pretty easily. I just think because of that natural talent, that, I mean, his, his size, he had it all. As a run, as a five star running back, he had everything that you would ask want to ask for. He just played for Jim Trestle, where the idea was, I'm going to ram you into a bunch of defensive linemen time and time again, and every so while you're going to break one instead of you know outside zone runs, inside zone runs, all these different type of runs. And his body broke down. If he was playing today, where he had both the technology and medical stuff that we have today, but also just playing in a more, you know, offense, a more high up tempo offense and just a better offense altogether. We might've seen a 2000 yard season in 2002. So Maurice Claret, and then, I mean, his instincts, he he literally saved a a national championship game for Ohio state. And we only saw one year of him. Yeah. So like he did that as a true freshman. Imagine what he would have done 
if he had a sophomore and a junior year. So I like it. I think that's probably right as the next running back yeah. off the board. I think, I think I agree with that. I think it's a really good pick. Nathan, your thoughts on Maurice Claret here. I don't know if I, yeah, again, I, I only know of him um, from what I sort of remember in the moment. And then looking back through history, I, I was kind of, <clears throat> excuse me. I was sort of hoping maybe I could get him as my second guy. Now it'd be a really strong second guy. I don't know if I would have taken him next, but I understand gotcha. why Steven would, because I understand the concept, the theory behind getting him and then having like an alternate reality where you get to see him get to his peak. All right, Nathan, you're up with two picks at 12 and 13. Oh, man, uh, I'm, I'm very torn here which way I want to go. And I, I'm going to take I think both of these guys might be a little bit of a reach, but but also I think I can defend it. I think I can defend it. I'm going to take God. This sounds again, just like recency bias. I'm going to take J.K. Dobbins here. Um, I think that's right. The single season I, I think that's rushing right. leader and a guy who I know that that there was some unevenness early in his career. But when you also now having watched him in the NFL for a year and can project what he may be over his lifetime as a football player, I, I think that's a really strong pick. I think he could end up being looked at in the long run better than the next guys on this list as far as just like complete football players. I think that's smart. I think it's the right pick. I don't, I don't just, the top three running backs are off the board, Stephen, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and they went about the way you thought that they were going to go. Zeke went early, just like he did in the actual NFL draft, while J.K. Dobbins and Maurice Corrett went in a more you know prototypical way that you see running backs go. You go a little bit later because you can, you can always go get a running back later, and that shelf life is a little bit lower. So the way it played out and also the order they went into, I think is pretty on, on par with where it should be. Good pick, Baird. All right, what's your next pick? Well, and now it's tough because I feel like you were, I kind of tiered my running backs too. And I felt like there was a big glut of like, uh, of one tier. I, I think I'm starting to talk myself into Maurice Claire would have been, I, I should have had him higher because I think there's some separation there as to that peak. I'm going to, th this next receiver I'm going to take is one that I feel might be a little bit of a reach, um, but I have my reasons. I'm going to take Curtis Samuel here. Shoot. And you're going to take him as, so I will be clear on this. I included him with the running backs to oh, the yeah. texters, but okay. I think it is completely reason. I mean, he's both. He he's is the, the H back. Literally. He's, he's the only guy, but, but not only, I mean, he was also a real tailback. I mean, in the 2016 Michigan game, when Mike Weber had been their running back for most of the year, they were like, Oh no, Curtis Samuel's the tailback here now. So he is the most versatile Buckeye in that way that I have covered in the last 16 years. And I think Nathan, if you're taking him, I think you can take him as a running back or a receiver. He's both a slot and a tailback. So where you're putting him at receiver. I'm going to take him at receiver. Okay. Because, but, but it's the versatility that I really liked about him. I think if you're just picking like pure football player, I, I think he's the next guy on this list. And I, I, I understood that he, in that situation, I guess it was more because I thought of like, I, I thought of that move to tailback being from his natural position. And I look at the way he's used in the NFL now, which we talked about, I guess, just last week, right? When we were talking about NFL player, uh, Buckeyes in the NFL. I, yeah. I think of him as a receiver more than I think of him as a running back. 
No, they, I mean, in the NFL, he's definitely more of a receiver. They have they used him at tailback a tiny little bit. I think at 200, he had 200 rushing yards, I think, this year and like more than 800 receiving yards. But he finally is being used the right way in the NFL. But the thing I love, I mean, he was the offense in 2016. He was their best receiver and he was their best running back. And like when they got to the Michigan game, when Michigan was really good that, that year, they said, please be both of them. And he was. And they do not win that game in 16. Everybody listening to this knows that. They do not beat Michigan in 2016 without Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel was so good in 2016, he dragged that team to a place they probably shouldn't have gone. And where he dragged them was to a 31-0 loss against Clemson. In a, they were not a playoff team. They really weren't. I don't think they were. That that team overachieved, and their reward for overachieving is everybody remembering them getting them getting shut out by Clemson and giving up thirty one to Deshaun Watson. But the number one reason they overachieved that year is because Curtis Samuel wasn't just great; he was as versatile of a college football player as you could ask for. And Stephen is throwing himself off the Zoom. He's so mad that you took Curtis Samuel when Stephen, you were ready to pounce on him, right? He was literally going to be my pick. I'm just look. He's he's ver- you can use him all over the place. I can just I mean, he was literally I was literally going to have a team where Maurice Claret was going to be my first and second down running back in between the tackles guy, and then on third down I'm bringing Curtis Samuel in, and you don't know what I'm doing. Am I going to run it or am I going to throw it to him? And then I've got the wet I've got the two wide receivers. I was in love with my team, and now that just threw me for a loop, and now I have to think a little. I have to readjust Steven, my strategy. Steven, I'll, I'll trade you Curtis Samuel for Michael no. Thomas. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. I like this. I do. Like I said, it's not really about draft strategy. It's more about talking about good football players. But I am enjoying the fact that Nathan is trying to trade for Michael Thomas every time he steals a player <laughs> from Steven. So that's good. Um, was having right, a really so, good draft up to that point. So, Stephen, you've got to readjust now here because you were thinking yeah. you were going to get Samuel on the wraparound because you wouldn't have taken Samuel ahead of Claret. Claret, what you can't regret that pick. Claret was the right pick for you. It's just your other guy didn't get back to you. I didn't think that Curtis Samuel would be gone yet as well. I mean, yeah, I, I would have taken Murray's Claret anyway, but I also didn't think Curtis would come off the board, especially the way Nathan took him off the board as a wide receiver. Because I, I when you sent out this list to the Texters, when I saw you put him as a running back, I'm like, oh, that's a steal. And like, you have him listed there, but that doesn't mean you can't put him on the outside as a wide receiver as well. So, yeah, it's good. I don't know if you guys, our dog is barking. Um, so I think I'm going to take my other quarterback now. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Terrell Pryor here. I admire than what he was able to accomplish. I think he, he clearly underachieved of, of all these quarterbacks that are on this. I think he underachieved the most, especially when you look at what his average star. I mean, he was the highest rated recruit to ever come to Ohio state before Quinn Ewers came along. And I, I think it, that offense, his development as a quarterback was stagnated a lot. And I'm trying to think from a physical standpoint, he was Justin Fields before Ohio State ever got Justin Fields. So I'm wondering what he would look like with Ryan Day's development as a quarterback. But also my starting quarterback can't I'm faster than my starting quarterback. So 
if I have a, a wrinkle in there with Terrell Pryor as a runner, as my backup quarterback, I think that sure is that, that, that I at least have an option if I want to do some quarterback run stuff. I think that's a good pairing, and that's who I was going to pick. Take. I mean, I, I think I was going to take Pryor on this wraparound here, and then I think there's a line here. Now, again, we're going to get into the whole, like, you know, the like the guy who might have been viewed as the best quarterback in Ohio State history until Justin Fields is still out there and hasn't been picked yet. But I think there's a line after Pryor. I thought the five quarterbacks who have been picked in just terms of in terms of like ability, football ability over the course of a season. I thought there was a top five there. So, Nathan, I, I like this prior pick here for Steven. You know, I, this is the one time where maybe I would have let draft strategy come into it a little bit. I, I don't know that I see a massive difference between prior and the guy who hasn't been taken, which is JT Baird. I guess we might as well say it, right? So I, I think I would have let you make that decision. And while, while you make that decision, I'm going to go ahead and take a person that I like, if I see a separation at one of these other positions, I would have taken that person there. Let you make the quarterback decision and I'll take the guy who's left over. Who's still a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. But I, I think prior is enough different. I mean, to Steven's point of like, he was the number one recruit in the country. And I don't know that. I mean, I think he wasn't maximized. He was not maximized. And if you can maximize that there, you can get something there. So I, I, I thought there was a line there. I like that pick. Uh, but now I think there's another line here. I'm going to take the last running back that I think is a truly elite number one back. And I think this back in that way is even above Curtis Samuel in terms of like being a tailback, being like an every down tailback, um, at his peak. Again, I think his peak was not as long, um, as people expected it to be at Ohio state because of some injuries and some other things. And frankly, he wound up in his last year in an offense that didn't really fit him. So we're going to have to work the offense a little bit to make sure we give this guy carries the way he wants to get the ball, but it's Beanie Wells. Um, Beanie Wells, when they went and put Terrell Pryor in as a freshman in 2008, I mean, there's the famous play at Wisconsin where they run, um, they run like an option play with Beanie and Terrell and they get in the end zone. It's like a big win. It's a big play, but they had struggled when they sort of went like to more shotgun with Terrell Pryor, like how to work Beanie in. And it's like Beanie as a young guy in 06, 07 Beanie was awesome. And then it's like, they go to the USC game in 08. Is he hurt? He doesn't play. And then like the prior comes in and we didn't sort of get the last bit of peak Beanie, but he still was a first round draft pick. And I think I think he's like Claret in some way, Stephen. of like, this guy is just physically, he's just, I mean, you don't see many guys like this. And I don't think we saw everything that he could be as a football player, even though he did have a really, really good sophomore year as the number one back in 2007. Awesome sophomore year. And I think he fits in perfectly with what your makeup already is as well. Uh, he, him, and he, he, he shared carries as a freshman. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, and yep. now he was he's the backup to, to Antonio Pittman. In yeah, he was the backup yep. to Antonio Pittman, uh, and so now he's the backup to Ezekiel Elliott. So you've got two elite level running backs. Where I think at their peak, I don't think anybody's. They're going to get to the second level, and I don't think there's going to be much that back ends and linebackers can do about it. Yeah. So I and I think I think the rest of the running backs who are on the board. Um, or not quite at that level. So yeah. I feel I'm glad Beanie got back to me. Um, and now I'm going to take a receiver because I'm going to let my quarterback sit 
for my last spot, which I think is actually like a strategic, but I also think we're kind of at that point where I think it's, it's worthy of that too. I don't think I'm like, you know, undervaluing a quarterback that I'm going to wind up taking in the last round just on strategy. I think there are some better football players ahead. I'm going to do a little bit of a wrinkle here. I'm going to pick a guy and, I, and I'll get to it. Listen, we can, we'll figure out the slot stuff, right? Like I, we're going to put three receivers on the field. If I don't have a classic slot receiver right away, we'll work around it. This guy's a, this guy's a, a gamer, man. This guy is, I think this guy was sort of like Michael Thomas before Michael Thomas. I mean, I think he was a number one receiver. I think he, he's got speed. He's got hands. He's got technique. You know, he'll run routes on you. He's absolutely, I want this guy on my team. This guy played with a confidence level and he was a fan favorite when he was here. And I still, I don't know that we got maximum, maximum, maximum him. Cause he went to the league uh, when he should have, but if you would have gotten one more year out of this guy, he would have gone nuts. Santonio San Holmes. So like it, I think it's, I think he's just, there are a lot of good receivers. I think he's the best receiver left on the board pretty clearly. And I'll figure out a way to work him in with uh, Michael Jenkins and Ted Ginn Jr. And I'm, I'm confident that if I tell Santonio San Holmes, Hey, you're going to play in the slot that he'll be like, okay, I'll do the Garrett Wilson thing and we'll be fine. So, I'm taking Santonio. San what do you think, Steven? I feel like we should just also give you Anthony Gonzalez so that you can keep that trio, that beautiful trio of the 2000s together just for the sake of you know nostalgia. But I like to pick. I, I, I do think from a te- – I, I think his talent level isn't necessarily what Michael Jenkins and, and Ted Ginn Jr.'s were from a, a natural ability, but I think his – what he made up for that and his skill and some of the stuff he developed while he was here – being in that room with Daryl Hazel, I, I think like you, he's the tech route technician. The guy won a Super Bowl MVP. I'm a Super Bowl MVP for crying out loud. So yeah, I like the pick. I like where you took him, and I think at, at that point of where when you look at that wide receiver list, there's a bunch of guys who are maybe you can kind of just pick out of a hat. I think he's one of them. First round pick, Nathan. He was a first round pick in the NFL. So um, was he on I your radar, ho- Nathan? I was hoping in vain. I mean, that he'd get back to me. That was going to be my next pick. I think. All right. So Santonio Holmes, he leads off round number six. He's the 16th pick in our 24 player draft. Steven, you're up. So I'm going to finish out my wide receivers here and I'm going to go to the two thousands to do it. I'm going to go get Chris Gamble. I just think as my, I've got two guys who are going to get the ball. And so he can be my Jamison Williams in this situation as the third guy where sometimes he can get some deep deep ball stuff. He, He can do, he'll probably get what three targets a game. And I think he can do just enough, but also, he played some defensive back, so he's got some versatility in what he can do bring to a football team. You actually are not finishing off for your receivers because we're taking four. Oh, he's okay. your third. Yeah, my, he's my so, third. Okay. But it's a good pick. I mean, again, um, because he was so versatile, I don't know that we ever saw the best of him. Yeah. What he would be as just a receiver. But my gosh, again, talk about rare guys. He's a two way player for a national championship team <laughs> and who was then an elite NFL player. So if, if you're going to tell, I mean, you're either getting a little defensive help here for our uh, our best offenses of the 2000s, or if you tell Chris Gamble only play receiver, then you're going to get that. And Steven, I don't. That would be awesome. The upside's high either way, and so you. This is the one where you take. I'm, I think we're at the point where I can take a chance on a guy, and this is the perfect guy to do that on. Yep, talent matters. Uh, Nathan, you're up. Last pick in round six. Last pick of round six and first pick of round seven, correct? 
So there's a running back that I think isn't getting his due, and I'm tempted to take him with one of these picks, and I think I might. So it's a decision of which receiver I want to take. So I'm going to go ahead and take Carlos Hyde here. Good. Pick. I know why. I know why he gets why he isn't looked at maybe at the same level as some other guys, but let's just compare it like at uh, more yards per carry, better average yards per carry than Beanie Wells over his career, 6.1 to 5.8 scored more touchdowns than Beanie Wells, 37 to 30 had more twice as many receptions. So I, I, I understand why someone would still put Beanie Wells ahead of him. I just wouldn't necessarily tumble him all the way down to another tier. I think he's like right there. I think taking him there keeps me pretty strong. And I already had Curtis Samuel, too, to kind of take some of the pressure off of that second running back spot. Uh, so I'm taking Carlos Hyde. He's definitely the next back, I think. I mean, I think like debating tiers, I, you know, again, I think I, I would say I, I would have Beanie a tier above Carlos Hyde. But with what's still available, I think Carlos Hyde is next. And when he worked at Zone Reed with Braxton in 2013, I mean, they almost went to the national championship like doing Braxton Miller, Carlos Hyde. So like, I'm trying to like replicate that. Cause I think Zeke is, I mean, Zeke's definitely a, a step above Carlos Hyde, but like Carlos Hyde was really good at that. Like it really worked. They were quite effective. And Carlos Hyde is still playing in the NFL. He was a second round pick. Yep. You know, like he, he is a talented guy and he is, I mean, I think this is a good pick. He's the most consistent back of what's left on this board. I don't know if you could say he has the highest ceiling, and that might be some a little bit of recency bias given what we just saw a couple of months ago here. But I do think at, from a consistent standpoint of what he's going to give you game, game in and game out, I think he's the best pick here. Yeah, I agree. Good pick. Nathan, uh, now first pick in round seven. Here's one where I think it, it, I don't know if you're really projecting because I think what this guy did in college w- was good. And now what he's starting to do in the NFL might be great. Um, it's, it's early in that career, but I'm going to take Terry McLaurin here. I think he's a guy who, when you pair him with Justin Fields, and you pair him with the other receivers I've taken. I think that's pretty formidable. I know he didn't have like a sensational three-year college explosion, but I mean, this past year he went like what, 1100 yards in the NFL with just absolute trash at quarterback. No offense to Dwayne Haskins, no offense to Steven's quarterback. So uh, I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins is trash. I'm saying, the Washington quarterback performance in 2020 was trash. And yet he still had a really productive season, a young guy who I think could be growing into like that next tier up in the NFL. I think it's a good pick and it's hard. Like you can't separate it, right? That, I mean, if Terry McLaurin had been a third round pick and like never played and was out of the league now, I don't know if you would have taken him here, but that's part of it. And what he's done in the league, Nathan, leads you down a path of like, well, then maybe they didn't exactly use him the way he should have been used at Ohio State. So I'm going to feature him a little bit more in my offense. And he's going to be unbelievable because what he's showing in the NFL, that was always there. And it just never came out at Ohio State, but it was there. Yeah. And it's a matter of the kind of receiver he is too, right? Like I'm not there, there's some other guys here who are higher on the Ohio State lists of receptions and, and even yards, but they're guys who, because of the position they played or the offense that they played in, it was just one of those feed me positions. I wanted a receiver here who was more of that kind of big play top end kind of guy. He is in the name of what well, I mean, we're doing a lot of this is imagine if this guy was playing for Ryan day, 
he it might be the epitome of that. It's not necessarily because he got Ryan, uh, he got Ryan as an offensive coordinator for two years. But imagine if he got to play for an Ohio State team that's quarterback play is what it is right now and not what it was with JT Barrett, where it was JT Barrett left, JT Barrett right. And every so often we throw it down the field. He got Dwayne. For a year. Imagine that at the beginning to start his career off and not at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's if if he had Justin Fields the whole time, um, I mean, say say he had Chris Olave's timing. Yeah. Right. Would he be Chris Olave? Maybe. I don't want to take away from Chris Olave, but I think he might be in range, like in in range when you see what Terry McLaurin is now. That it's like, hey, oh, Terry McLaurin popped a little bit end of freshman year, and then by sophomore and junior year, they're slinging it around, and like he's the dude. Like, I, I don't think that's impossible. I'd still take all. I mean, Olave's better yeah. in college. Olave's better, but what Terry is showing you now, um, it's not like Terry has changed. Terry has always been like a super locked in dude who's like a great leader and works his butt off. I don't know that I knew he was this talented. I mean, his recruiting story, it's like he had to come to camp three times to earn an offer from Indianapolis. It's not, this guy's a three-star recruit who had to fight, just like Chris Olave, by the way, who like were under the radar and sort of had to fight to get here. And then once they got here, it was like, oh, that guy's super talented. And then by the way, burned it up at the combine super fast. So from like a package of skills standpoint, I think Terry McLaurin like has everything you want, but because he didn't show it as much at Ohio State, that's why he's lasted this long. But I think it's a very good pick where you got him here uh, in the seventh round, Nathan. Steven, you're up. So I'm going to take as my backup running back. I need you to, I'm going to tell him, listen, I need you to come in and I'm going to give you the ball seven times. And I don't want whatever those first three weeks of the season were. I want those seven runs to be everything from the Michigan State game on. Any more, any less than that, I'm going to give Maurice Claret those other seven carries. Or I'm just going to bring in Terrell Pryor and we're going to run QB power. That is your, that is, that's the only way you get to play on my team. Other than, if you don't, if you can't do that for me, then you're going to sit on that bench and we're going to give your carries to somebody else. And that's Trey Sermon. I I want the end of the season, Trey Sermon. I don't want all the, uh, that other stuff. Cause I don't even know what that was, but I think his ceiling, what he showed us at the end of the se- season, what he can do with a few carries once he gets rolling. If I give him a series or two, and just let him roll, I think I can tap into that a little bit. But also, his ability to catch passes, even if they are just checkdowns. So this guy's getting picked here based on, like, two games of his Ohio State career, basically. But, like, it's the right pick because, yeah. you know, like, this if, is where you take that's, a shot like this. if yeah. that's what you get, if you get that guy – then it's like, oh, I don't know. Should I take him ahead of Ezekiel Elliott? I mean, he ran for 300 yards. He was karate kicking Clemson people in the head in the playoff. Like, did you give any consideration, Nathan, when you took Carlos Hyde? Did you consider Sermon instead? No. I, I still wanted, like, the longevity of, of Hyde and that the consistency that I think he showed. And then what he's gone on, like you said, like he has gone on and established himself as something that I think gets overlooked, which is like a career you know, even in a, even in a secondary way, productive NFL player. So I wanted all, I valued all those things more than I valued the flash of, of, of those of, of sermon. Um, and if I had had a, you know, if I had had Ezekiel Elliott or maybe even Maurice Claire, maybe it makes more sense to pair sermon with them because 
especially in the case of Elliot, right? Like that would have been maybe even the perfect pairing of that. Here's the guy who's like the clear number one back. And then if you pair him with this guy who is more of a, what's it like? like um, flash in the pan? Not flash in the pan, but like uh, high risk, high reward. Yeah. Like I feel like that's what I think of the Trey Sermon pick, but that's what you do when you're doing like a fantasy draft, as you said before, you're getting farther down. These, this is the area where you can't just, when you're, when you're drafting your fantasy team, you can't take the guy who is going to get you like a sure six points every week. Cause what value does that really have? You have to take the guy who may get you zero, but he may get you 18. Like that's what I'd rather have. And I think Trey Sermon's a good pick here. I think it is too. I think it's the right guy. And so we're done with running backs. These are the running backs who were not picked of the ones we sent out to the texters. Antonio Pittman, who I really think is, is probably the, the other guy in the conversation at a pick like this. Steven, did you consider Pittman at all instead of Sermon? I did, but he is – I'm going to tread lightly because I don't know. Well, I don't care. I'm, one of you might pick this person. I think he is the K.J. Hill of the running back room. Solid guy. Got the job done for you. But you know that there are some guys uh, who are also on this list whose upside is much higher. You know, his floor might be high, but it's this he's pretty much touching his ceiling while he's sitting on the floor. While with these other guys, it's just more potential. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, Pitt, Pitt, he's the running back for the 2016, and he was good. Yeah, he was very good. He was very solid. He's a little bit like Hyde, I think, to me. But I think I think I I, t- I agree with taking Hyde over him. I agree with taking Sermon over him. Uh, Antonio Pittman not picked. Mike Weber not picked. Dan Heron not picked. Lydell Ross not picked. And this is a guy who was not picked who I threw in there who, if we're talking about like interesting athletes that did not maximize what they could be, I think there'll be a few listeners who would probably agree with this. Brandon Sane was a guy who was kind of like in a timeshare with Dan Heron, but Dan Heron was like the number one back in terms of a guy who could like run it and catch it and be versatile. I said Curtis Samuel was unique in that way in my career covering team. Brandon Sane would be like the next person in that mix. This guy was fast. This guy was explosive. He wasn't like an every down kind of guy. But, man, I, I think there's a world where if you would have used Brandon Sane a little bit differently, if we had like a wild card round where like take like a guy like this, like, a, a you know, maybe shouldn't be picked, but it's like take a flyer on. Brandon Sane would be on my list, but I understand why he wasn't picked. All right. It's to me, I have to take my last receiver and then my quarterback, my second quarterback here. I'm going to lean. Who has receivers yet still? So Steven has a receiver left. You guys both have receivers as your last two picks that you have to make yet? Correct. Yes. So there's a receiver out there that I think maybe even should have been picked by now. But I think I'm not going to pick him. If I was picking just straight on talent, I think I'd pick him, but I'm going to pick a little bit on fit here because I have Ted Ginn Jr. and I have Michael Jenkins, and I said I'd put Santonio Holmes in the slot, but I don't really have a slot guy. And in the name of being fast, I'm going to take one more fast guy and see what we can do, and I'm going to take Paris Campbell. What Paris did in his one breakout year and I wrote about this a lot when he went to the combine. You do not see people his size run that fast. He's like a four, three guy who's a thick, solid six foot plus. He's like a six, one, 200 pound guy who runs like a little guy. So Paris has had some injury issues in the NFL. He was a second round pick in Indianapolis. He has not popped in the NFL primarily because 
of injuries. I don't think he's a complete receiver. I don't know that he ever got to that point at Ohio State. You got to use him the right way. But man, if you use him the right way, talk about people who can take a three-yard pass and run 80 yards. I got Ted Ginn Jr. who can do it. I'm going to put Ted Ginn Jr. Maybe I'll put Junior, Junior and, and Campbell on the same side. I'll put Paris in the slot and Ted Ginn outside of him. And I'll say, well, which guy am I going to run a swing pass to or run a slant to and see if they can catch it and go all the way. So um, I think we're getting to the point where, as I think, Stephen, you said earlier, there's a bunch of receivers in the mix here. You could kind of throw them in a basket. Paris is different. And I'm going to lean on the speed as I have with much of this team. And I'll take Paris Campbell here uh, as my last receiver, my fourth receiver with the last pick in the seventh round. And now I got to take the quarterback. The quarterbacks remaining are JT Barrett, Cardale Jones, Craig Krenzel, and Todd Beckman. So I'm not going to take Todd Beckman and I'm not going to take Craig Krenzel. So it is between the 2014 quarterbacks. Taylor's oldest time. Braxton Miller, who is not as much of a thrower, is my starting quarterback. I don't know that I really truly can take the clear backup ahead of the guy who started at Ohio State for three and a half years and took the job from this guy in the middle of 2015 because this guy wasn't getting it done. But I am going to lean on fit. It's not right. It's not right. It's not. It's unfair. This continues the occasional and perhaps accidental JT Barrett slander that happens on this podcast from time to time but I'm going to take Cardale. I just am not going to pair JT and Braxton. If I'm going to have Ted Ginn Jr. running 80 yards down the field, I'd like to have a quarterback who has a chance to get it that far. I really thought I might get Terrell. I kind of was going to, I, w- I was sort of looking forward to taking Terrell as my backup quarterback and Steven took him from me. I feel bad doing this to JT, but we have sort of leaned upside here. And because I wouldn't take Cardale as my number one quarterback. If I had no quarterback yet, and my choice was JT Barrett and Cardale Jones, I'd take JT. But I do have a quarterback. So I'm going to take Cardale. Nathan, is that unfair? No, I I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I do think, though, you have the weakest quarterback situation of the three of us. Well, it depends what you think. Yeah. I I mean, if you're talking about throwing, if you're talking about throwing, I agree. Yes, I do. I (laughs) You're going to play a lot differently offensively than we are. I, that's for sure. I don't know if what weaker is the is the best term for that, but it's clearly a different thing. But also what's interesting here is, for one, with Paris Campbell, I love that pick. I mean, six foot 205 and you run like that, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Michigan knows what it's like to see a guy take a three-yard pass and turn it into an 80-yard run. I think also what's, in, what's actually interesting is you're the only guy who doesn't have at least one player from all three head coaches from the two in the last 20 years. You don't have a you don't have a Ryan Day guy. Oh, got, okay. Well, we yeah. we've got at least one from each. Other. But I, I I get it. I get why you gotta be able to throw the ball. And if you can bring Cardell in and have and be able to throw it downfield every so often, that helps. It, Braxton could do it a little bit, but it's not necessarily what he's known for. While with you've got a guy who can is explosive as a runner, and then you've got a rocket arm. I think. It, and if you put those two together, you get Justin Fields. That's what this boils down to. Yeah, I, and I when I took Braxton, you guys took Troy Smith and Dwayne Haskins before it got back to me. So if I was like, well, I'm taking Braxton as the dynamic sort of run threat, 
Troy and Dwayne would have paired with Braxton as like a real like QB one level guy who's a thrower and they didn't get back to me. And once that happened, it was like, all right, well, I'm going to be in a little bit of a spot here, but I'm comfortable with Braxton as my dude. And I'm comfortable with Cardale. I just didn't think it made sense to pair JT with Braxton. It's not fair. We're being unfair. I mean, if you had a game for your life, right. If you had, if you were a picking an Ohio state team to play Michigan tomorrow and your life depended on it, your life depended on it. I think you would take JT Barrett ahead of Cardale Jones. I think you would take him ahead of Terrell Pryor. And I think you would at least think about it with Dwayne, you know, like if like, because you would believe in like, well, JT's like not going to let me down. Right. But if you're playing a whole season, if you're trying to beat Bama, right. I mean, this is the whole thing again. If you're trying to win a national title, I don't think you probably don't take JT because the upside's not there, which is only a discussion that we've had 4,000 times. All right, Steven, you're up with your last pick. So I need a legitimate deep threat at this point. I think I've got Michael Thomas, who is Michael Thomas, Garrett Wilson, who's in the slot, and then Chris Gamble, who I think his upside allows him to do a little bit of everything as well. I need a guy who just runs 60 yards and the ball will be there by the time you get to the touch end zone. And nobody fits that better than Devin Smith. And the 2014 Big Ten Championship game is proof of that. As a matter of fact, what he did the whole year is proof of that. He had 12 touchdown catches that whole year, and he's second all time with 30 touchdown catches in his career behind David Boston. So that guy where it's I get it to him two times a game, and he turns those into – 105 yards and two touchdowns is on the table, especially given what the other weapons that a defense is going to have to deal with as a wide receiver. I can set up with some play action stuff because I've got two pretty solid running backs and Dwayne Haskins can get it there. So uh, Devin Smith as my fourth wide receiver who would barely get the ball, but probably end up with the most yards. That's clearly the guy that I was talking about that. Like if I was just taking it on, receiver ability i think i would take devin smith ahead of paris mm-hmm. campbell so devin smith is a great pick here and i think there are you could argue this is too late i mean that guy is is as a guy who can go up and get it on the deep ball sprinter speed high jump ability just as a as a deep ball guy and and especially i mean he just wound up he did do it with jt and that's the thing we have to give credit for we can't we end up giving a lot of credits like the Devin Smith, Cardell Jones pairing, but like the guy who threw most of those Devin Smith touchdowns in his career, JT Barrett. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, wow, you need, I need to take Cardale because JT can't throw it. It's like, all right, well, somebody figured out how to use Devin Smith. It was JT Barrett, but especially when Cardale, who I think on those deep balls, isn't necessarily pinpoint, but can get it up there and get it deep and give a guy a chance to make a play on the ball. You couldn't ask for a better guy than Devin Smith. And I think some people probably listening to this are surprised that he's lasted this long, Steven. Didn't work out in the NFL as as well, but yeah, at the college level, he is. I mean, the everything you want in a deep ball receiver. I, I'm not him lasting this long. There's some talent, and it's it's it's. He was a deep ball guy. It's not like he was doing everything in between. And a lot of these other guys that we picked have been able to do that. So I, it might be a perfect spot just based on what his skill set was. All right, Nathan Baird, wrap it up for us. Yeah, I, I need another receiver, and I also want a guy who I, is more of a potentially a big play guy. And I, this is one of those guys who falls into that, you know, what could have been scenario. And I also like the intangibles you get from him. I'm going to take Anthony Gonzalez. I wondered where you went would go here. I think this is probably 
right. I think it's the right spot for Gonzo. I don't think he should have gone any higher. And as we run through the now the receivers who were not picked, KJ Hill, Brian Hartline, Devere Posey, Brian Robisky, Jalen Marshall, Evan Spencer, Dane Sanzenbacher, Philly Brown, and Kenyon Rambo. I think Posey would, could be in the mix here as a guy, again, who maybe didn't get his potential maximized. I think Jalen Marshall, like as a slot guy, like is just Jalen Marshall's underrated because it didn't work out in the NFL for him either. Jalen Marshall played slot. Jalen Marshall played outside. Jalen Marshall fought like a quarterback. Jalen Marshall had great speed. Jalen Marshall made huge important catches for a national championship team. Would go over the middle. Jalen Marshall's like a really good player. Dane Sanzenbacher was a really good player. But I think this is right, Nathan. I think Gonzo is right. I think Posey, to me, is the next guy. And as Steven mentioned, K.J. Hill didn't get picked. But if you didn't take Gonzo here, who else was in the mix with you as you were finishing this off for your last receiver? I thought about taking Brian Hartline to maximize my own obvious shortcomings as a coach that he could come in and, and like I would, uh, he would be like my stealth offensive coordinator probably. And then I would uh, just, you know, uh, cut checks and make sure everybody got their, their, their pizza or whatever after the game. But I, he was another person I considered. Also, let's let pretty good football player too, by the way. Oh, Brian Hartley, Brian Hartley would light you up as a blocker. And absolutely. I mean, absolutely speed. Brian Hartline was, fast as, as heck man and like great hands like and obviously you saw it in the nfl man like a complete receiver so i mean heartline was totally in the mix here what do you think of wrapping this up with uh, anthony gonzalez steven I, I like it i like where it's picked at i think when you think of that group of wide receivers he's the guy you say after the end with that trio with ted Ginn and santonio holmes and yeah, you can throw brian heartline in there as well he's the i think this is a perfect pick for him i am interested that Jalen marshall didn't get picked um he was the before Garrett Wilson showed up, he was the only five-star receiver to ever come to Ohio, Ohio State. And I, I, I think he might fit into this building as well with, like, with Terry McLaurin. I wonder what he would have been like in today's offense because I think he was a jack-of-all-trades but a master of none with Urban Meyer because they didn't really throw the ball. And so he didn't really develop the same way that slot receivers are going to develop now. It was more of an H-back role. So if he would have been – into, would Garrett Wilson's career maybe have played out the way Jalen Marshall's does if you flip these two and Jalen Marshall would be Garrett Wilson, just based off of what their natural talent was coming into Ohio and how they're being used as slot guys. Jalen, I think a little less physical than a guy like yeah. Garrett, a little smaller, maybe, maybe not as like, I don't know that he's any shorter, but I just don't know that he's as sturdy as Garrett. Jalen, a little weird to me. Jalen went, left a year of eligibility on the table, didn't get drafted, did stick in the NFL then for a couple of years. Really good punt returner. Really good punt returner. Like if you, when we like still like, you know, malign, like, oh man, Ohio State just doesn't really return punts anymore. It's like Jalen was the last guy who really did some stuff back there. But I also get like, I, I get why he didn't get picked. So I, I don't think we have a glaring absence here of like, I can't believe other than the winningest quarterback in Ohio State history who got rejected for his backup by the guy who's covered the team for 16 years. So uh, other than the, the constant, constant underrating of JT Barrett. Uh, I think we're, I think we're pretty spot on here. Let's run through it real quick. Again, 24 picks in order. Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, Ezekiel Elliott, Braxton Miller, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Troy Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Ted Ginn, Jr. Michael Jenkins, Maurice Claret, JK Dobbins, Curtis Samuel, Terrell Pryor, Beanie Wells, 
Santonio Holmes, Chris Gamble, Carlos Hyde, Terry McLaurin, Trey Sermon, Paris Campbell, Cardale Jones, Devin Smith, Anthony Gonzalez. Um, we'll send it out to the texters and we'll include it in the post. And we'll ask people, we'll say, here are the rosters. And we'll ask people to evaluate those. We'll come back on a, on a later pod and we'll tell you who the texters voted for. And we can debate that because it's hard for everyone to keep track. Well, here's everybody's team. But before we get to the Desert Island and wrap up, I, we are going to go through real quick some texter comments on what they thought about it. And we'll give you the texter voting of how they rank these players. But from a draft perspective, Nathan, how do you feel about your team? It went pretty much according to plan. I mean, I got two of either, either my top two or two of my top three quarterbacks. I was kind of torn between Haskins and Smith. I got second and either like third or fourth. Although, like I said later, I, I probably would have moved Claret up. If I had to do this over again, maybe I would take Claret higher and wait on even a Chris Olave, wait until I take my first receiver because there was so much depth there. And then I got like two of my top four receivers, uh, you know, Olave and, and Curtis Samuel, who I liked because of versatility. I'm pretty happy with what I got. Steven, how do you feel? Steve, it's not. Oh, it's, this is the best. I have the best two wide receivers um, on this list. I think Maurice Claret, you can make the argument for why he's the best running back in this group. Tracer, I didn't get Curtis Samuel, which was what sucked. But my consolation prize was a guy who randomly might go off for 350 rushing yards. And then Dwayne Haskins bringing it all together, being the thrower that he is, getting these all these weapons the ball. I've got a guy like Chris, uh, Curtis, uh, Chris, high ceiling. Whether you play him on, on as a wide receiver or a defensive back, Devin Smith literally averaged 28 yards per catch his senior year here. Uh, so I've got a deep ball guy, and then Terrell Pryor, who high ceiling, who I think would be maximized more playing under Ryan Day. So I, I like my team more than you guys like your teams. I, I don't know that any Ohio State fan would argue that Maurice Claret is better than Ezekiel Elliott, though. I mean, I, I don't you say I, I don't I don't know that there's a lot of people arguing that. I mean, I, I mean, for real, what Ezekiel Elliott did in the playoffs, like for real. I mean, Maurice Claret's great. And we I only mean, saw one year of it, but better than Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was number four pick in the draft. That is what's hard about this is you saw it from Zeke and with. Maurice Corrette because of not outside because of off the field stuff. You didn't see it, but the talent to do it is was clearly there. And, and Nathan, we must take any Steven evaluation. Like I now can't, I don't know how to properly evaluate Garrett Wilson anymore. Cause it's like on one hand, Garrett Wilson has a year left. He had a really good sophomore year. And like, he might be like the first receiver drafted in the next draft. And if Garrett Wilson, like, I don't know, has, 1300 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns this year and is like the 11th pick in the draft in 2022 and it's like oh yeah he's the best receiver at ohio state the last 20 years i mean that probably will be a pretty convincing argument right now nathan i mean steven like a little bit of an overdraft right a little bit of an overdraft with garrett wilson i mean i don't i i i wouldn't have taken him in the first round i would have rather had michael thomas than garrett wilson and like there's a reason why I would keep trying to trade back up for Michael Thomas, but would not really change the rest of my team to trade for Garrett Wilson. And that's fine. And whether I overdrafted for him or not is, is fine. I'll let the texters let me know that I did that, but I, and you're saying I still would have rather had Michael Thomas. I still got Michael Thomas. No, that's true. So I still, you know, it's not like I didn't get Michael Thomas. You know, yes, it is, but it, that was you got a little bit lucky there. If you had taken Michael Thomas, you still definitely would have had Garrett Wilson in the next round. Listen, look, I, I, I mean, the, the, I think Michael Thomas is pretty clearly 
the best receiver here. Yeah. And he's the number one pick by our texters. And, and again, we're going to get to the texture poll in a second. I'm not sure that there's a clear number two receiver though. So like if Michael Thomas is number one, and then we're talking about like Ted Ginn Jr., Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like that's kind of the mix of like who is the next best guy. Garrett Wilson's in that mix for sure. I mean, if we acknowledge, I think just generally Michael Thomas underused, not by stats, underused at Ohio State, but just like ability all around stuff. If you think Thomas is one who you got as the second receiver in the second round, then Wilson's in the mix. And then we were kind of maybe playing by what you're looking for and that kind of thing. But I mean, Garrett's really stinking good. If that's a th- Steven, you're doing this to us. It's like now I end up like arguing against Garrett Wilson because, because I think he's not the greatest Ohio state receiver in the last 20 years, but he's awesome. And in another year, he might be. What's hard about this is uh, you're right. He's not better than Michael Thomas. But the problem is he's in the mix and he's not done. We've at least seen what the best version of everybody, even Chris Olave, he could be, he could probably be in the NFL right now in the NFL draft preparing for that right now. So everybody else on that list, we've seen them at their best. Even with Michael Thomas, if the stats don't match it, you could just go watch some film of Michael Thomas and know, man, that guy was really good. With Garrett, his best year is still coming. And so the fact that he's already in the mix after really only one year of being the starting wide receiver and not just the the rotational guy is, I mean, that's got to give you a lot of optimism right there. Even if it is hyperbolic optimism, it's, we were talking about it all. It's when Chris Olave leaves, what can happen with Garrett Wilson? Is the sky the limit there? And that's what makes it interesting with him. All right. Um, I like my team. My my team hinges on what you think of Braxton Miller. So if you think like, hey, Doug's team isn't going to be able to throw it as well because Braxton Miller is not quite there as a thrower, then I might finish third in this voting. If you think Braxton Miller is like a dynamic playmaker who maybe could be a version of Lamar Jackson at his maximum, 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 then I feel like I've got some dudes around him that like I have a shot to win. So I think that's going to be how you figure that out. And we'll let the texters do that. 614-350-3315. We'll send that out. We'll let you vote on who has the best Ohio State offensive team of the 2000s. We'll take another break. When we come back, at the end of the pod, we'll reveal the poll voting from the texters, and we'll talk about some comments they had about putting these teams together. But first, when we come back, we're going to a desert island. Who and what are we taking on Buckeye Talk? Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug, Nathan, Steven, stealing from the Texters. As always, this is literally, again, I think from last May, from the 740. If you're hearing this and you're thinking, they finally got to my question. You know, this is busy, man. We had a lot going on. They, I don't know if you guys heard. They canceled the season. Then they brought it back. Then Ohio State had some games canceled in the middle of the year. Then they went to the national championship. So that's why we didn't get to your text before this, but I have been saving it. Here's one I always ask my students as an icebreaker. Yes, it's odd, says this texter from the 740. You're stranded on a desert island for a year, and you get two things and a person to take with you. One album to listen to, one movie to watch. And what, oh, did I say book or movie when I sent it to you guys? You said book. You said All right, book. well, we did book. 
Sorry, one movie to watch. If you guys can come up with a movie off the top of your head, we can do it. I like book because this person said, well, don't worry about how you play it. But I kind of like the book thing because it's easier to transport. So I already screwed it up. But album, we're going to do book and one celebrity to be with you. We always pick male and female if you're married for obvious reasons. So we will get into that about what exactly you're doing on the island for a year with the celebrity that you're bringing along. But we discuss them and why you choose them, and it tends to lead to many tangents. Ha ha. So if you guys want to throw in a movie, I mean, pe- people have movies up the top of their heads. That's fine. But we're going to do book, album, and we're going to do male celebrity and female celebrity. So we won't spend forever on this because people want to get to the poll results. But Stephen, what was the album? And by the way, it's like album. It's like people don't even listen to albums anymore. It's like this is kind of an antiquated question. It's like, oh, I'm taking the White Album or some Peter, Paul, and Mary thing. It's like people listen to songs. They, do albums even come out now? I haven't like purchased music in 15 years. So I don't know, Stephen. Maybe we should say like what, what song on TikTok would you take along? Because my kids are always like discovering music. And it's like, where'd you hear that song? And it's like I was on TikTok. But Stephen, what album would you take? Listening to one song on an island for that that long would be awful. You did the song. Um, I went with the Blueprint, Jay Z's album, The Blueprint. I think it's the best album he's ever made. It's a little bit of everything. You've got some up tempo stuff. You've got some stuff you can sit back and kind of maybe relax and listen to. It's rap music, which is the majority of the time listened to. So that's what I went with. It's also my favorite album. What What are you looking for if you're going to listen to one album for an entire year? Are there specific parameters? Is it just like I enjoy it? You said it's your favorite album. Like, is that mm-hmm. just it? It's my favorite album. I never get tired of it. That's what I want. Never get tired of it because that's a long time to be listening to one thing, but also just a some versatility in the songs. If every song is the exact same, you're going to get sick of it. But if you've got some some up tempo stuff, some lower, some slower tempo stuff, some just different stuff that you're talking about within the album, it, it flows right where you can just press play and then continue on with your day without having to skip songs, everything. All that matters because you got to find a way to keep that album interesting for 65 days. Or 66, depending on if it's leap year or not. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Nathan, what's your album? So this is weird because I'm actually not picking what I think is my favorite album or even the best album during my lifetime, which I think is Automatic for the People by R.E.M. because I know you're picking an R.E.M. album almost certainly. So I'm taking uh, taking an album called Stay Positive by the band The Hold Steady, which has been uh, another just huge favorite of mine. And they're the best live band I've ever seen. This isn't a live album, but it would make me remember how amazing they were live every time I saw them. And it's called Stay Positive. I feel like I need to stay positive when I'm stranded on a desert island. There's a deluxe version of that, too, that's got 30 songs. So you're going to be set. Ooh, nice. So I am not picking an REM album. Oh, okay. And it is because the two parameters that I was looking for here is one is it needs to be upbeat. I need some stuff that like I can dance to by myself standing on the on the island. And there's not enough. REM is the only band that I truly care about, but there's just not enough like upbeat, like really like tap your toe kind of stuff. Now there's some, but I really lean toward my other favorite musical um, thing. If it's not REM, I'm going boy bands. That's my other interest. And I am not, you know, I like all the boy bands that are, best songs right like i don't really know their albums the only boy band that i really uh, dig deep into their collection at all is one direction so now i start digging into i'm going to rank the one direction albums but the other thing i'm looking for here i'm looking for upbeat and peppy because i'm going to be sad at some point on the island but i also want an album that reminds me of my life that conjures something 
And so there was a time when my kids were of a certain age a couple of years ago where we were going to One Direction concerts. We saw them in Columbus twice. We went on a little vacation and went and saw them in Toronto. And so like that would be like, I want something like REM is kind of like my thing. My wife doesn't like REM. My kids don't like REM. But One Direction we did as a family. So it was now down to picking the One Direction album. They put out five albums. My daughter mentioned the other day that One Direction has now been broken up for as long as they were together, which made me sad. I still blame Zane. This is not a podcast about Zane. It's Take Me Home, which is one of the middle albums. It's it's after they broke. It wasn't the it wasn't the you don't know you're beautiful whatever like first album that kind of broke them on the scene, but it was right after that. Lots of peppy upbeat songs. It just would make me feel happy. And that's the number one thing. It's not like I don't want to enjoy it on the island. I want it to make me feel happy, even if it's not my favorite. So that's why I went that direction. Any comments on One Direction from Stephen? I'm just glad that I'm not stranded on this desert island with you. I like some One Direction songs. I mean, it's very good pop songwriting. I mean, this is the time they weren't like writing their own songs. I mean, it's like whatever it is, whatever the the people that they locked in a room and said, write pop songs for these five attractive young men. Congratulations to them, because I can tap my foot to it. They also kind of got popular, I think, my senior year of high school. So you turn on 107.9, which is one of the pop stations in Columbus. At least it was when I was still listening to the radio in high school. I don't listen to the radio anymore. Nobody does that. They were always on. So, yeah. There was a time when, when McDonald's was really thriving as the Cleveland.com uh, remote office where you every day, every time you walked into McDonald's, One Direction was playing over the loudspeaker. So, all right, that was my opportunity to talk about One Direction, which I always like to work in at times here. The book is probably a little less interesting here because, I mean, who reads? Nathan, do you have a book? You know, the real answer to this is probably I would take like a big blank notebook and just write my own. I, I feel like you'd want that creative outlet, right? But keeping with the, the theme of this, I'm going to take – I feel like it can't be a novel for me. It has to be a short story collection. My favorite author is a guy named George Saunders who writes a lot of like – what would you say? Like like darkly comic, um, kind of like dystopian, but also like very modern uh, – things um and i got into him through his short stories i'm gonna take a a collection of his called in persuasion nation so you like i was thinking about that like the difference of like one long thing versus short stories or an anthology or something where it's like you're getting a little bit of variety that was important to you and he has short stories that i have read multiple times almost the way that you would go to like an album or a movie that you love that you would watch multiple times like he has a couple of them that are in this book are like among my favorite short stories of all time so that that, that one that i know that if i had to read a new one every day or one a week or whatever i would still get enjoyment out of it all right smart pick steven you got a book yeah, so if it's not a sport, I try to stay away from the sports books just for the sake of, of what I'm doing right now in my actual life. I'm reading a lot of Alex Haley books right now. So right now, just for the sake of I've already started it, the autobiography of Michael Max is what I'd roll with because I literally just started it like last week. So so it's interesting. I, th- I think the distinction of like nonfiction versus fiction mm-hmm. is interesting here. It's like, what are you trying to do on the island? But I think, Stephen, like a nonfiction book like that You could probably read it and then you'd read it again and catch Mm. stuff that you didn't get the first time. And then you'd read it a third time and come to a deeper understanding of the person. 
and then you'd read it a fourth time and really feel like I could like, it's almost like you'd have like Malcolm X on the Island with you. Like if you choose mm -hmm. a book like that by the end, you would, I mean, it's like, he's, he's practically your companion. Yeah. That's what, that's the good thing about autobiographies and biographies. It's about a person that you probably already had an assumption about to begin with. And then throughout the entire book, you start going, Oh, I was wrong about that. Or I was right about that. So it, it, it keeps you interested because you're always kind of, breaking down your assumptions of a human being. That's good. I think it's a very interesting, uh, very logical, interesting way to look at it. Um, I want fiction where I love the characters and I can feel like while I'm alone here on the island with the two celebrities that like the characters are there with me. So I want characters that I love, people that I can relate to, that I can close my eyes and pretend that I'm hanging out with them. And it's the book I talk about all the time. It's The Art of Fielding. It's these guys playing small college baseball and like I know those characters those characters are like living people to me right now in my life it's like I know oh Scrimmer and Schwartzy and Owen and Pella and Dr. Affenlight like I know all those people so if I was on the island I would feel like those people I wouldn't feel alone like I think that's what I would want in a book it's like oh it's the characters they're here with me I'm not by myself so I I've talked about that book in the past it's one of my favorite books so that's why I went there the it, celebrities are more interesting because celebrities are famous so we can get to movies at the end if you guys come up with something, but let's do male celebrity first. Cause I do think male and female, and I, we're not going to get weird. Buckeye talk. We're not going to get weird. Steven, who's your male celebrity and why? <laughs> we're going to bring, we're going to capture somebody and bring them onto an island with us for a year, but let's not be weird about it. <laughs> with that being said, I went with Drake just cause I think we'd have a really fun time. Because, I don't know, rappers just have a much more fun lifestyle than I live on a daily day-to-day -day -day basis. And if you put that on an island, I just think we'd have an awesome time. But the I question is, if he's not in his lifestyle, would uh -oh. it be interesting? Now, he did the uh, Drake from State Farm Super Bowl commercial with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, I like that Drake. Yeah, It was funny. Making fun of himself a little bit, self-deprecating. I could hang with that guy for a year. Drake seems like a person who's cool enough to where you want to hang out with him, but also he'll probably have some moments where he's a little corny and you just want to go off and you want him to leave you alone for a little bit. And that's when I can read my book and be a little bit more serious with my life. But then when we hang out, we can have a good time. I like it. I think that's a reasonable pick. I mean, I think that's like cool enough, but a little corny. I think yeah. that is a good description of somebody to spend a year with on an island. All right, Baird, what you got? I took, and I also leaned music here. I think it would be nice to have someone who is like by their inclination, they want to like express themselves and entertain. And you don't know if they end up there with a, a guitar or, or whatever. Maybe this was a, a shipwreck that you were the only three survivors. I don't know. I took Jason Isbell and not only because of, I, was, I love his music so much, but because following him on Twitter, he's a very down to earth guy, a very funny guy, a very smart guy. He's into like, the Atlanta Braves and other sports things. He's from SEC country, so he'd like college football. Just like seems like he'd be a fun hang. I like it. Don't know much about him, but I like that he's like a musical guy, but he also he seems like he has other interests in the world that which which matters. So I get it. I'm mostly thinking about a male celebrity who can like carry stuff and do the work and like build the hut. Cause I'm not doing that. So I want you to be pleasant to hang out with, but you have to be ripped. And no offense, I mean, I don't know that Jason Isbell and Drake can carry stuff to my satisfaction. I think 
Jason Isbell, like he's a, he's like a Southern guy. He's like a, um, what do you mean? Like a, he's not like, um, he's not like, you know, the rock, he's not a bodybuilder, but he's like a tough guy. I think he would do all right. Drake has Hollywood muscles. Which are like glamor muscles. Yeah. It's just for show. I don't think they actually can do anything. But I also, I also want someone like who you can talk to. So I was looking for someone like moderately in my age range. I don't want a super old guy or a super young guy, someone at least sort of kind of of my generation that we can talk about stuff, but you've got to be ripped because all the physical stuff is up to you. And then I want you to be kind of nice. I was thinking about funny, but I decided I don't want a funny person on the island with me because I think that might get annoying. Plus, I want to be the funny person. So I don't want people who are trying. I don't want Kevin Hart or Will Ferrell or somebody like that. Cause I would be worried I would get annoyed, but then I also like, well, I'll just try to do that. I'll crack some jokes and these normal celebrities could laugh at me. So I took captain America, Chris Evans. I don't know if that's because I think he's captain America, but he's 39. When I see him in the Marvel movies, he's got big muscles. He seems like a normal person kind of who cares about stuff. He did that sort of funny commercial where he had a Boston accent one time, little self-deprecating, I don't really know much about him. I don't love him. I don't go out of my way to watch Chris Evans movies, but I think he could carry a lot of coconuts. You know, I think he could chop down a tree and make a hut. So I almost picked Dwayne Johnson, as you mentioned, Nathan. I'm like, I almost picked the rock. It's like, cause I think he's funny. He seems amusing and he probably could build things, but I was worried he'd be a little too funny. So Chris Evans is my guy. I don't, I don't really know anything about him. Have you seen Knives Out? I have. Yes, he's fantastic in Knives Out, and I like. I think he is a smart, funny guy. It'd be interesting to see him in more roles like that in the future. Now that Captain America has kind of gone by the wayside. So again, carrying, carrying is the main thing. So now we're going to go to the female celebrity, and this is where I hope we don't verge into R-rated material. Because I mean, listen, it's a year. We get it. We don't have to be explicit about this, but I also think we're, you know intelligent enough men to realize that we're not just picking like a hot girl to go to an Island with. Right. I mean, like we've got to be at least a half step beyond that. So Nathan Baird, who was your female celebrity that you're picking? I really struggled with this because I don't know how to do it without it sounding weird. Um, I picked Emma Watson and I don't even really know. I've seen some of her movies, which are fine. Um, but she's, again, she's like a really intelligent person. She seems like a fairly down-to-earth celebrity as celebrities go. Uh, she's British, which I just think would be fun to have, like, me as, like, my non-Midwest accent. And then you'd have, like, a British person and then Jason Isbell from Alabama and, like, that whole, like, mix of voices. So that's that's who I picked. Reasonable. I just watched uh, – what did I watch the other night? The Meaning of Being a Wallflower? What's it called? Perks of being a wallflower. Perks of being a wallflower. She was in that. Pretty yep. good in that. Yeah. Um, oh, maybe I should have taken Paul Rudd. That guy seems like a good hang. Oh, well, he, I already took Captain America. Nothing. Yeah, he really, he's, he doesn't have any bigger. Although he's Ant-Man. He got the Marvel role. I'm only taking superheroes. Man, I should have taken Paul Rudd. Oh, well, uh, Steven, who's your female celebrity? So if I'm going to be stuck on this island for a year, I'm clearly going with people. We can, we can just have a party for a year long and just make the, make this go as fast as possible so we can get back to our lives. Or maybe I can join them in their lives because they both make a lot more money than I do. Um, so I went with Rihanna because one, she's actually from an island. She's from Barbados. So maybe that can be the island we get stuck on. Smart. 
I'm just, you know, we can get stuck on that island and then it actually will be fun. England's kind of an island. Yeah, but it's not. That's not the type of island that we're talking about here. But Rihanna might know like which like uh, knows what to do, how to like get like get a crab out of the ocean or something. She literally like, knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And also we can party because, I mean, she's also known for, you know, party <laughs> the way most entertainers are. But yeah, more importantly, she's from an island, so she probably knows how to live on an island. That's very smart, but I do like that you are clearly setting up your post-island life. 100%. You are not going there anticipating that like, oh, I'm going to be stuck on an island forever. You're going, no, I'm going for a year, and when I come back, I'm going to be best friends with Drake and Rihanna, and we're good to go. And at worst, she's almost a billionaire, so maybe we like it so much she just buys the island, and then she invites all her friends, and then we just live on the island and have a great time, and I don't have to pay for anything. And then you guys will never see me again. You can just zoom me every other every day at eleven o'clock, and I can do this. I think you you think you're missing the concept of the deserted island here a little bit, but yeah. I mean, it's going for a year. It says the guy you said it said you're going for a year. You're going yeah. for a year. It's not. It's you're not falling out of the sky like Tom Hanks because your plane crashed. Like you know, it's a. No it's one said you can't. Be, yeah. Yeah, no one said you can't just be prepared to go to the deserted island. You're... Plus, she's Rihanna. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, she seems like a good hang and she's beautiful. All right. Here's my thing. I decided that I want more. I want like a mom. I want my mom to go because I want someone to like take care of me. So Captain America is going to carry all this stuff. And then I want kind of like a mom to take care of me. And I told my wife this as I was picking people. And I said, I really want a mom on the island. And she says, you have a mother complex. And I said, no, I don't. I just want to be taken care of. And she said, you have a mother complex. And I said, no, I don't. I just want to be taken care of. But I also don't want like, I don't want someone who's so old, who's actually my mother's age, because then I would have to take care of them. And again, the idea is take care of me. So I picked someone who's not, who's only like 15 years older than me. She's not that old, but I was trying to think of someone who seems motherly. So I was trying to go through things. And again, it's like you see in a movie. So I picked T'Challa's mom. Angela Bassett? Angela Bassett. She's in her 60s. She went to Yale. She's smart. She cares about stuff. But I feel like she would take care of me. She would be like a strong mother who would also feel sorry for my noodle arm, lazy, incompetent butt on the island so i like the broad range of what angela bassett brings to the table and again i'm not taking like stella got her groove back angela bassett which also might be a good person like take to an island and have a good time but i'm taking like the she's like 62 you know she could probably carry some stuff too she could probably carry stuff more than me i think she got pretty ripped for some of these movies but that nathan i want a i want a mom i don't want to be entertained i don't want to be you know, romantically involved, take care of me on the island. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's actually, in retrospect, maybe I would have picked, like, a celebrity chef or something like that because then they're able to, like, you're not going to have to eat just the same kind of twigs and berries every day. They'd figure out a way to, to make that better. So either male or female, that maybe would have been a stronger pick. I like that you snuck in the Yale thing there, too, though. Like, that was, like, an important thing for me. Like, I wanted to go – on both sides, I wanted that person – to, to be pretty smart. Emma Watson went to, I think both Oxford and like Harvard or Brown or something like that, some Ivy league school. So like she's, she's, she's bringing a lot. She'll probably bring her own books. So I don't have to handle just, I don't have just the one book. She'll bring some good books too. My guys did not graduate from high school. 
Nathan, Steven, so Steven is wants a to be the smartest guy in the room. Year, year long party. party. Oh, yeah. That's, and then you come back to civilization and the party rolls on. 100%. We're not here to learn. We're going to have fun. <laughs> You've got a book. Yeah, I've got a book. I can like We're here to can, survive. We're here to party. Yeah, I, I can walk away, read my book for a little bit, get my education for the day, and then get back to partying. I mean, those guys have made careers out of partying, and I think they're doing pretty well. So I want to do that. I, I mean, I don't. I, I that is hard to argue. That is hard to argue. I'm look. I'm worried about if Captain America can build a fire, and you're just like, let's tear it up on the island, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um. Does anybody want to throw in a movie at the end? Is there a movie that you were like, oh, this is the thing. I didn't even have to think about it. This is the movie. Because again, like I, a little bit of this, I, there's some comedy stuff that I would worry I would get tired of. I don't know that I would lean towards a comedy. I might lean towards like a, you know, almost like a, like a thing with like a little bit of a mystery to it that you can watch it and try to figure it out again and again and again. I don't know. I'd be worried I would get tired of almost any movie though, in a way that you would not get tired of a book in a different way because I just, because movies are movies, you know? Yeah. I and There obviously are movies that we watch over and over and over again, but it's different if it's like the only movie you have to watch over and over again. Like I remember somebody being like, Oh, every year we went to like our family's be, uh, vacation rental or whatever. Like the only movies we had there were like a few good men and something else. Like you just watched a few good men like every year and you just got tired of it. You hated it. Or like people who hate a Christmas story now because it's on constantly every year at Christmas and you can't watch anything else because channels aren't showing anything else. So I think that's what makes it tough. It's like you, cause you wouldn't have the choice anymore. Like this is the one thing you could watch. And that's why I picked the book I did. Cause like kind of each story is its own movie. You get to watch several of them over and over again. Yeah. I think the only movie I, if I see that it's on, I'll stop everything I'm doing. Not really, but I'll watch it. No, if, if I see it's on, I'm going to click that. And that's what I'm watching for the day. It's Bad Boys 2. But that's a pleasant surprise to, you know, oh, this is one. I'm going to sit here and watch it versus I have to watch this movie again because it's either this or it's not our stare at the sun or I can just go party with Rihanna and Drake. That just seems like a much better option at this point. Yeah. For, Steven, you are not watching the movies either. I mean, you're just no, like, although, no. although, I mean, I bet. I mean, if Drake and Rihanna want to sit down and watch Bad Boys Two, that also would be a fun night. I mean, like, I get that. I actually think that. I I don't know if I've seen Bad Boys Two. I love Bad Boys One, but I I think the I think there's a combination of like funny and action. Yeah, might work into it because like obviously, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are really funny together, but it's not a comedy per se. They're blowing stuff up and Michael Bay movies and stuff. I get into that. Actually, I, I that that's Bad Boys came out when I was in college and. uh my roommate and I, if I'm like the whitest person in America, my roommate is the only person who could challenge me to be a whiter person. <laughs> and we went and saw Bad Boys together and we kept debating like which one of us got to be Will Smith and which one of us was Martin Lawrence. And like we just I mean, we just like we just like two white guys in college sitting around going Mike Lowry, mm. Mike Lowry. And it's like, Stephen, it's you turn your stomach. I mean, it's like I love bad boys i actually am taking bad boys that's my answer i can't think if i've seen the second one i must have seen it i love bad boys all right let's get back to the poll we asked the texters to rank quarterbacks running backs and receivers and we'll see if you guys are surprised by any of this we'll run through this quickly we already did the whole draft the quarterback ranking justin fields the clear number one again when you rank 
right? If, if you get all the first place votes, you're 1.0. If you get half first place votes and half second place votes, you're 1.5. Justin Fields was 1.25. Nathan, that's like an overwhelming number one here. But I, Nathan, I don't think we're surprised by that, are we? No. I, again, I think just when you're looking at total package and and winning, total athletic package and winning, like nobody else checks off all the boxes the way he does. So Justin also, Fields was oh, – go ahead, Steven. It's, it's not as steep of a competition right now, just given what Ohio State's quarterback – history is I, that'll be interesting to do in five, six years from now when Ohio State's going through at least maybe at least one other quarterback maybe two depending on how some things work out here and see not only where people fall in these rankings Justin might still be number one but he might not be a 1.5 ranking anymore but also of the guys we actually drafted how many of those guys are still getting drafted and how many of the guys who maybe are in the future end up replacing those people yeah no it's I mean it's the, 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 you know the how the future goes affects how you view the past sometimes. So I do think it'd be interesting to come back in five or do it next year and do this again. Uh, So Justin Fields, 1.25, Troy Smith, second at 2.42, Dwayne Haskins, third at 4.0 Braxton Miller, fourth at 4.5. And again, Braxton Miller, I took as the second quarterback off the board. He's fourth for the texters. Terrell Pryor, fifth at 5.13 JT Barrett, sixth at 5.29. So JT right up, right behind Terrell, really close. Cardale Jones, seventh at 6.56. So again, that's my choice. I disrespect the JT, take Cardale ahead of him. Craig Krenzel, eighth, 7.13. Todd Beckman, ninth at 8.72. So again, top four for the Texters, Fields, Smith, Haskins, Miller. Top four in our draft, Fields, Miller, Smith, Haskins. So my pick of Braxton that early kind of threw that off. Running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, clearly number one, 1.25. Steven, if you had to guess who's second, is it Beanie Wells, J.K. Dobbins, Maurice Claret? Well, those are the three candidates. Who's second, do you think? I think Dobbins might be second because it's more recent. And also, I think Maurice Claret and Beanie Wells might be a little bit out of sight, out of mind right now. What do you think, Nathan? Dobbins was number two on my list. Dobbins is second. So Ezekiel is 1.25, which is a strong first. Dobbins is second, 2.75. Claret third, 3.33. Beanie Wells fourth, 4.3. Carlos Hyde fifth, 5.18. Curtis Samuel sixth. Again, I put him with the running back, 6.36. Trey Sermon seventh. So that's, we were right. Mm -hmm. Trey seventh is seventh, but Samuel was a receiver on our draft. So those are the top six. That was right for Trey Sermon, 6.97. Then Antonio Pittman, 8.23. Mike Weber, 9.12. Dan Heron, 9.17. Brandon Sane, 10.48. And Lydell Ross, 10.84. All right, Michael Thomas is first, 2.82. Fairly clear. Nathan, who do you think second of the receivers for our texters? I'll give you the, the candidates. Michael Jenkins, Chris Olave, Ted Ginn Jr., Garrett Wilson, Devin Smith, Santonio Holmes. On that list, I might say Ginn. Steven, who do you think second? Yeah, I think it's Ted as well. It is. Michael Thomas first, 2.82. Ted Ginn second, 3.84. Where do you think Garrett Wilson finished, Steven? Fourth. Where do you think he finished, Nathan? Yeah, I was going to say fourth or fifth, depending on whether you 
how high someone like Santonio Holmes is. Thomas one, Gin two, Olave three, four point two five, Holmes four, five point seven eight, Wilson five, five point eight six. So really close between Holmes and Wilson, and then a clear drop. That's a clear top five. Thomas Gin, Olave, Holmes, Wilson. On our draft, it went Wilson, Thomas, Olave, Gin. Devin Smith is sixth here, Stephen, and you got him as the 10th receiver off the board. Mm -hmm. So he was number six for our textures. You got him 10th. That's good value. Michael Jenkins, seventh. Terry McLaurin, eighth. Anthony Gonzalez, ninth. Paris Campbell, 10th. Chris Gamble, 11th. So that's where the cutoff was. Again, Samuel slid over to receiver in our draft. So the top 11 plus Samuel is who got picked. We did not have a dispute about that. KJ Hill next, 11.44. Then Brian Hartline, Devere Posey, Brian Robisky, Jalen Marshall, Evan Spencer, who's just an interesting guy as a blocker and like a good teammate. Like his stats wouldn't lead you to pick him. But I wonder, I, I could see a case for, hey, if I'm taking a fourth receiver, I'm going to take Evan Spencer, who does a little things. Then Dane Sanzenbacher, Philly Brown, and Kenyon Rambo's last. So um, anything surprising in there, Steven? Not a surprise at all. And now I'm interested in all this. Does every position group have a JT Barrett for Ohio State? And is Evan Spencer that at the wide receiver room? Just because well, of that leadership. Might be right? Evan, might be KJ. Yeah, might be KJ. But yeah. Obviously, tough as that for the linebacker room. Um, it'd be interesting. I think every Antonio Pittman might serve as that for the running back room. I just if we go through every single position one day and find the JT, I think you can find a JT Barrett for every room. I'm down. I'm down to find the JT Barrett at every position for Ohio State. Nathan, anything surprise you in the receivers? No, n- nothing that really shocked me, I guess. I, I, I feel a little bit um, justified that um, Gonzalez ended up in the top 10 as well. I think I got good value there in the last round with him. Yep. First round pick, man. First round pick. Helicopter catch. Um, let me, this is a text I should have mentioned earlier because it, it helped me lead me to my pick from the 630. What if a fully healthy Braxton Miller would have gotten to play with the talent of the 2014 team? How dynamic would Zeke and Braxton have been in the backfield together? That's from the 630. I like that one. From the 419, I selected Justin Fields' accuracy and intelligence with the power and home run speed of Ezekiel Elliott with Olave stretching you deep, Michael Thomas winning the tough balls, and Santonio Holmes just shredding the defense in every, every other way. It's an unstoppable unit. This is what I wanted people to do to some degree is just start putting these guys together like that and having fun with it. We did it in a draft, but originally so the idea was make your ultimate five. From the 216, Devin Smith, Ted Ginn, Curtis Samuel with Troy Smith at quarterback. We're just running go routes and jet sweeps, horizontal and vertical. I like it. Um, in game. It is. From the 330, can I say Dwayne Haskins with either Beanie Wells, Ezekiel Elliott, or still J.K. Dobbins, but with an actual good run blocking guards? So what Dwayne, the, 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 the thing with Dwayne is, did the run game not function as well in 18 in part because Dwayne was the quarterback? Or is there a way that you could – you know, maybe get a different offensive line in a couple spot, design things a little different and pair Dwayne with a super dynamic run game and what, what that would look like. I think, I think that's an interesting question. 
from the 513, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, and Ted Ginn would have been epic. I think if you're if you're picking a top three, I think that might be where a lot of people land. That threesome of any threesome pairing at receiver, I think that's a, a mix people will go with. Terrell Pryor, Ted Ginn, and Ezekiel Elliott together from the 706. Again, Stephen, that's unlocking some of that Terrell Pryor ability with some more skill guys in a way we didn't necessarily see it before. From the 412, I want Michael Thomas in the Ryan Day offense with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. That would have been dynamic. He's a more traditional outside receiver and an obvious talent, but he wasn't as much of a fit and utilized as well as Urban's offense. With Olave and Wilson, he'd see a ton of single coverage too. Pair that with Dwayne or Fields, and I think he's a Politnikoff winner. I mean, they just didn't give it to Michael Thomas enough. They had, they had a lot of talent. They just didn't give it to Michael Thomas enough. Again, a lot of comments on putting people with Ryan Day from the 919. It's tough for Braxton and Terrell, especially TP. If he had Ryan Day as, as his quarterback's coach, he might have been a Haskins passer who could also run like Braxton, nearly unstoppable. Steven, that's what you're talking about with your pick of Pryor as your second quarterback, right? I think he would just... I don't, he's not, I don't know if he'd have been as accurate as Justin Fields is because that's what makes Justin special is that he's all that athleticism, but also he's accurate. But I think the upside as far as his big playability would have been pretty similar. From the 937, I would have loved to see Michael Thomas or Garrett Wilson as the quintessential uh, pro receiver paired with Ted Ginn Jr., the pure burner, and Anthony Gonzalez, the ultimate slot guy, and see how they would have played off each other with Haskins or Fields throwing the ball all over the place. Again, I like that. I like that pairing with like Ginn as the speed Thomas mm. is that, and then you get Gonzo in the slot. Um, let's see. This is another one from the six one four. It's our friend, Seth Shaner. I recently watched the cut up of the 14 Minnesota game, the one in the snow JT's long run was great, but what really stood out was the perfect mesh of JT Zeke and Jalen Marshall in the read option. I get that we've moved on and need to be more electric through the air, but that was beautiful. I also get that Ted Ginn was more of a few, uh, more of a deep threat here, but just how beautiful would it have been uh, alongside JT and Zeke uh, to have him in that Jalen Marshall Paris Campbell spot that if you're doing JT Zeke and Ted Ginn jr. And again, that maybe we're underrating JT that when they ran it like that and then still had those receiver options, that was pretty beautiful. I want to end with two last things, Nathan, this is something again, as you went through this, from the 614. I was shocked as I did this at how many elite receivers Ohio State has had in the last two decades and how many pedestrian running backs have come through in the same time, a long way from three yards in a cloud of dust. I sent this out to the texters before we recorded here on Tuesday. We spend a lot of time talking about Brian Hartline's recruiting and the talent they have in the receiver room right now. I don't know that they recruited at the same level necessarily at receiver, but they also developed some guys. Michael Thomas wasn't a five-star. Right, a Crystal Lobby is not a five star. Some of these, Ted Ginn Jr. was a five star. But Nathan, when you went through these 20 receivers, I mean, it was what did you think of like, hey, the receivers that have played at Ohio State in the 2000s? What was your read there, Nathan? No, and I think what's an interesting phenomenon here is there aren't a lot of guys who like a five star recruit who was awesome in college and then has gone on to a great NFL career. Like that light triumvirate isn't happening for a lot of guys. They are finding guys either a little bit farther down the, the, the rankings as a prospect and coming to Ohio state and either having good careers and then going on to something better in the NFL or having amazing college careers. And then maybe they don't hit quite as well in the NFL. It's an interesting mix to me. And that's why someone like Anthony Gonzalez or even someone like Terry McLaurin to take two guys that I picked, 
like McLaurin wasn't like a national star in college, but is someone who's going to maybe have a national profile now in the NFL of, of, of being a, a known guy. And same thing with Gonzalez. Like, you know, he, he had kind of this awesome college career, or at least a, an awesome finish to it. First round pick and then gets injured and it doesn't really blossom the way it looked like it might. Like there's, there's a lot of stories like that in here or, or guys like even like Curtis Samuel, who was like a, a, just because the kind of player he is keeps being relevant, both at Ohio state and in the NFL, actually more than relevant, but maybe never a superstar. Like it, it it's an interesting, it's just good football players, right? They keep That's the thing that maybe gets me. It's like, there are a lot of guys that, that you can put at receiver from Ohio state who that compliment I think fits well, as long as people realize that it's a compliment, like, man, that guy is just a football player. And there's guys we didn't pick like Brian Hartline would have been a pick a guy like that. Or even KJ Hill, like, man, that guy's just a football player. Yeah. You take those guys on your team. You can win with those guys, you know? And I think there's uh, I think it is, it's an interesting mix, but it's a reminder. It's a reminder. I think sometimes, you know, we get really, I mean, what Brian Hartline's done in recruiting and Ryan Day has done in recruiting and the receiver was unbelievable, but it's not like they haven't had receiver talent. I mean, again, that 05 Ohio State team, which I always say is maybe the best team I've ever covered. They had three first round receivers and they had like, you know, Dante Whitner and AJ Hawk and Bobby Carpenter as future first round picks on the defense, but they had three first round receivers and a quarterback who the next year was going to win the Heisman. Like you're asking like, oh, a passing attack. It's like, what more do you want? Holmesgin Gonzo Smith. I mean, like, you you take those four guys and put them up against any of the group that we paired together last 20 years and take your chances, Stephen. Like, that's – you could argue that's as good as anybody. That's the most impressive receiver corp they've had here. Especially, I mean, they haven't had it since. What other roster can you look at and go, there's three first-round wide receivers on it right now? Uh, I mean, now the potential obviously is there now with the way they're recruiting, but throughout history, there have been some great wide receivers, but that core had three first round wide receivers and that can't be understated. And we may be back in two years and say, Hey, Olave Wilson and Julian Fleming, who was a sophomore, but was working in or Jackson Smith, the Jigbo was a sophomore, but was working in and then popped as a junior. Maybe they had three first round receivers on that field too. Uh, We'll finish with this. And I did, I always get nervous when I do the surveys um, did I forget somebody from the nine three seven? No, Joe Bosserman and the quarterback rankings flawed. So I, I did forget Joe. I think I included every other quarterback who started a game uh, at Ohio State in the two thousands, and that's just that's just unnecessary slander from the nine three seven. But the wide receiver ranking was overwhelming. I did a terrible job. That they basically said, just take any three. I mean, honestly, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, well, who's your three? I I got. I got, uh, you know, Dane Sanzenbacher, uh, Evan Spencer, and um, Jalen Marshall, who are all guys like in the bottom five or whatever. It's like, uh, okay, I, you can win some games with those three. You know, like that's – Dane Sanzenbacher was really good here. Really good here. Like Jalen Marshall made some tremendously huge plays for Ohio State. Speed, could go over the middle again. I mean, beat you a lot of ways, jet sweep, go deep. So I think it's a reminder. This was a nice reminder of the wide receiver talent. It makes me wonder what more we could do with it. Cause again, we didn't even get into the nineties. I mean, we're not dealing with, with Terry Glenn Mm -hmm. or David Boston, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, there's a, even another, I mean, the, the, as much as it, it has not, it's, it is the Woody and Trestle kind of thing where the run game is so important. They have an unbelievable receiver history. It was kind of nice to be reminded um, by that in this exercise. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Means. What do you want to add? They do. (laughs) Underappreciated wide receiver talent. And that's the difference between now and back then. And it is because it's like, as Nathan kind of said, it's like some of the guys who were like Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin, who are the two best guys in the NFL right now, were not college superstars. No. They weren't. But then like Devin Smith was like a college superstar more, but then didn't pop in the NFL. So they really, they haven't had necessarily like the, you know, Amari Cooper or whatever that it's like, hey, that guy was like a Heisman finalist as a receiver in college. Then he was a first round pick. And then he was a thousand yard receiver in the NFL. They've had a lot of guys who didn't quite put the college and NFL thing together in a way that would make you realize they produce awesome receivers, but the bottom line is they produce awesome receivers. All right, that went long, but that was a lot of fun. I thought that was a the draft wound up as a really good way to sort of figure that out rather than just us picking our five. I think maybe at some point, you know, maybe we could pick our ultimate five. If we were just picking five and we weren't drafting, what would we do? Which was sort of the initial intention, but the draft was a lot more fun. So we'll send our teams out to the texters, 614-350-3315. See what they think. Keep reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Thank you.